0: And welcome to episode sixty-six of the Mountain Bike Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Jonathan Lee, with my co-host Stephen Lewis. Hello. How you doing, man? I'm good. I think I I think I remember how to do this. It's been a while. It has been a minute. Uh, I, I, I think the last, well, the last episode we did was with Stretch, uh, Yeti, yeah. yeah, and that was just a solo endeavor. That was me over there. I listened. Uh, yes, yes, um, and supported from afar. I did. <laughs> yeah. Silently. I yes. Like, you know what? You go. Go team. <laughs> and then uh, I've been over in Kona for Ironman World Championships, so we haven't been able to get together to do one of these, but we're together. And, and we're then you had
1: it. a vacation. You took you and the wife stayed in Kona for an extra while and had a great time and yeah first good. first actual like vacation vacation that i can remember in a very long time yeah and simon stayed with the grandparents and yeah so we yeah.
0: actually had like a solo vacation just was, the two of us which yeah well yeah, deserved yeah it's so hard to do as a parent i'm sure there are parents listening to this it is really hard to leave your kids on vacation yeah which at times when you're, you know, toddlers throwing things at you and acting like a little dictator, you probably think like, oh, I could take that vacation really easily you right said, now. You said tater.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, but... Man, it's so hard uh, it is. to leave him. Yeah. But and people frown upon like locking a child into a cage and leaving for <laughs> I mean, just But he was weird. fine. No, yeah, he was okay. <laughs>
2: no, <I'm> just
1: joking. <laughs> uh, just to clear that up, so I don't get CPS calling me or anything.
0: Uh, my my grandparents or my parents came up, his yes. grandparents, uh, and watched him, which was which was kind. So of course. Um, but yeah, it's it was so so helpful. So like parents. Uh, especially if you're listening to this you're probably some sort of athlete that like so you've got a lot going on mm-hmm. you're probably very stressed if you have kids you know how that is yeah. um if you can get some time even if it's just the friday night where you two just spend time together man it just helps to spend time so you can actually have a conversation instead of little kid screaming in the background
1: yeah, <laughs> all the time. Yeah. I find it hard enough to do that kind of stuff with, you know, moose, yeah. let <laughs> alone an actual child. He, you know. he can
0: be mouthy. Moose can. Oh, I've can. seen this before. Yeah. 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 he talks back to you. So, um, well, this is presented by worldwide cyclery. We should say that first and first right off the bat. Uh, they're pretty awesome partners. Very nice people. I kind of wish they had a location up in Reno so we could spend more time with them. They're, they're cool folks. Yeah. They're a really good online retailer, but they're also just a really good knowledge source for bikes. So Absolutely. if you guys have questions, you can send them in to mountain bike podcast, but you could also just go over to worldwide cyclery and ask them. Uh, they have a bunch of folks over there that are knowledgeable and on staff and ready to help. Absolutely. So, uh,
1: if you need bike parts, go to mtbpodcast.com, go right. to our store. And then link over. And then click through. Yeah. yep. Or give them a call and tell them that we sent you, because they do sell stuff that may or may not be on their website. So, therefore... There you are. Absolutely. Uh,
0: So, I guess, Stephen, today is mostly going to be like a questions episode. We're going to cover some news. We have some
1: stuff that we need to discuss. But, yes. Yes.
0: And then, uh, but before we get into any of that, we should talk a little bit about what we discussed... During or what I discussed on the last episode with Stretch from Yeti, we talked all about uh, bike geometry and we talked about mechanical trail. Well, Basically, we talked about fork offset. Yes. Which fork offset, because it's very confusing to people in terms of what that like the implications of how that the the on trail feel of fork offset is. Of course. And uh, so Stretch was talking about the metric. Of trail, and then he said, "Well, we really probably shouldn't have any of these things, and just like kind of stack and reach our calculations that you get from uh, you know various points, we should have something called mechanical trail, mm-hmm. yeah. And then that mechanical trail would give you a much better idea of the handling characteristics of the bike. Yes. So, uh,
1: you you like that? I really liked it because. The physics side of my brain really likes the idea of things like this, and the mechanical trail is essentially a lever arm, Mm -hmm. is really what it creates, just like your your stem Mm -hmm. and the fork offset itself are technically lever arms. You're basically changing the rotation axis of the wheel, and the mechanical trail is the final step in that, and it's really... If I Indicate had, like, a it. nerd alert little thing, I would be putting it off right now. Of course. Yeah. yeah.
0: And, and, and really, like, what you're talking about, when you put a longer stem on your on your, on your your bike, you're getting much more leverage over those bars. Yes. It changes. Uh, it's not just changing where your hands are in relation to where your saddle is or the bike or anything else, but it also changes the way the bike handles. Yeah. And all of these things end up in terms of the fork offset and then the head tube angle, um, all that stuff. It actually ends up changing how the bike handles in perhaps a more profound way than other people think, or perhaps the best way to say it is mechanical trail could do a better job of explaining
1: that and trying to understand fork offset and head tube angle and everything else. Yeah, because head tube angle... And fork offset and the way that they design what stem to put on the bike, that all plays into all of these different characteristics of the bike handling, and any one thing isn't the answer. So it's a combination of all of it, and the culmination of all of that really is your mechanical trail. Yep. So you ran some some maths. Literally while I was listening to the episode, I started thinking more and more about it. And so I pulled out AutoCAD and I actually did a bunch of drawings and I was playing with it and trying to figure out, okay, well, if you do this, what does that create? Just creating a bunch of if-then scenarios Mm -hmm. and trying to really grasp what the mechanical trail understood. And so I ended up – or I I guess what it did for you on the bike as all of that is put together. And so one of the things – I've got a drawing that we're going to put up in the show notes. Yep, um, so I've got, got a cat drawing. podcastcom yeah. Check that out. Mm-hmm. Um, but essentially what mechanical trail is, a lot of bike companies, I'd say it's about 50-50 actually display the actual trail measurement, which is the inaccurate measurement mm-hmm. as Stretch explained. Um, but I figured out a way to give you guys a very simple – Uh, I guess it's an equation that tells you this is how you figure out what your mechanical trail is. Ooh. And it's a very simple one. You can have like a, you know, any sort of basic scientific calculator or like your iPhone or Android calculator should be able to do it in scientific mode. Mm -hmm. And so essentially what you do to find your mechanical trail is you take the tire radius. Get your pencils out. So tire radius – And you can either do it in um, in inches or in millimeters. You just have to make sure that you keep the same measurement, you know, whether you're – you know, the same standard either way. Makes sense. So it's tire radius, so 14 and a half inches for a 29-inch wheel, and that is the measurement, times cosine of your head angle Mm. minus the fork offset. Okay. And that will give you your mechanical trail. That will tell you what that lever arm actually is. Got it. So essentially – You'll see from the calculation, like actually from the drawing that I that I we put up in the show notes, that as you change fork offset, it changes the length of your mechanical trail. Ah, uh-huh. makes sense. And, yeah, yeah. and a steeper head angle will always have less mechanical trail. Yep. Therefore, that's why. XC bikes tend to feel twitchier. Twitchier. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. makes sense. Whereas if you slacken it out, that lever arm becomes longer and longer naturally because you're rotating around yep. that cross point of the vertical off of the fork offset and then back to the head angle. So, which it, I know that sounds weird, but. Yeah.
0: Is it fair to say that fork offset has an inverse uh, effect uh, to stem length on yes. your mechanical
1: trail? Yes. absolutely. I'm, yeah. I'm tracking then, man. Yeah. I'm so tracking. So longer fork offset immediately creates less uh-huh. mechanical trail. Yep. Less fork offset creates more. If you want
0: to see the drawings for this, uh, you can look at mtbpodcast.com. You can go up there and see the episode. Uh, I'll post up in that episode also a drawing that Stretch worked up. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you can see like his explanation of mechanical trail. Then we'll throw up the CAD designs mm-hmm. uh, or, or the CAD drawings that, that Steve has worked up and then the equation. Yeah. So then you can look at that. It'd be sweet. I don't know how I could do this on our website. It'd be sweet if I could enter it in, so then people could just enter in
1: their data right there and figure it out. We actually could. We would just have. To, I don't. I don't know computer nerd things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's certainly possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, just we use Squarespace. So. It's literally just two
0: triangles. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's true. Yeah. 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 I can't just tell it the the website. It's two triangles. Figure it out. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Give me angles and yeah. lengths. Uh, I got us, I'll
0: look into that, but just the same, the formula will be there, so you'll be able to check it out. Um, pretty awesome
1: stuff, man. I I would like to see bike brands pick up something like this because I feel like it would clarify things for people. Absolutely. And one uh, interesting thing I found is when I, when I went through this, a lot of bike brands don't even talk about what they measure the actual trail. Mm -hmm. They don't show that. Specialized on every single bike that I just double checked was perfectly accurate. Nice on what they claim their their real like the true offset or not true offset, but the true trail is. So that made it so that you could calculate the um, the mechanical trail very easily. That makes sense. Of all people, Cannondale was wrong on every single bike God. what their actual trail measurement w- should have been. Man, by like fifteen percent. Whoa! On average, some were less than others, but they were wrong on almost every single one, and I find that surprising. Yeah, I believe that uh, Stretch was saying that trail is not calculated correctly across the board. Yeah. So, and it's funny they weren't even calculating mechanical trail; they were trying to create, you know, uh, do that the actual trail, and it didn't work. It wasn't the math just didn't work out. Wow. So it was Crazy. interesting. Huh. So, yeah, that was just, you know, interesting things I found made me start thinking as I was listening to your guys' interview. So, cool. Yeah. Awesome, man. Uh, well, people can stay tuned uh,
0: because we we really only got to cover, like, scratch the surface of geometry, but uh, rear suspension needs to be covered. It does. And uh, so it's in the plans uh, to talk to a couple different brands on that. So yeah. um, um, we'll see. And it's not as much talk to a brand about, like, why their design is best, but... Um, talking to a suspension manufacturer
1: as well so yeah so we'll see um stay tuned for that so Um, speaking of rear suspension do you want to discuss the uh the new trust fork (laughs) (laughs) just jump to the front jump into the front might as well let's get to the news
2: news team assemble all
0: right as you said trust fork uh let's just jump head first into this thing yes trust performance is the brand yeah, uh, got some. So it's got Dave Legal, mm-hmm. uh the man that started Edge Composites before it was Envy. Can't yeah. remember his name. Uh, and then it's got the fellow that started Competitive Cyclist. So that's some. That's some good brass. Big there. names, yeah. <laughs> um, Dave Weigel, for those that don't know, is in, is has designed, or I should say, has patented plenty of rear suspension designs that are then licensed by different companies. Yes. <laughs> The DW link, Um, the Dave Weigel link. Indeed, yeah. Yeah. Uh, And the Delta link. And the Delta link as well. Dave's extra linear travel apparatus. Apparatus. I think that's what it is, yeah. Uh, So this fork is, if anybody wants to look at it, uh, you can go to trustperformance.com and you can check it out. It is quite the
1: fork. Um, For
0: $2,700, it better be quite the fork. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So price is out of the bag. Um, yeah. It's expensive. It is. It's all almost all carbon fiber. <clears throat> the, there are bolts, obviously, that are not. There are uh, bearings in there instead of bushings, yeah. which they decided, and it's got lifetime guarantee on the bearings, uh, so you can just send that back. Yeah. Um, and then it's got, obviously, the damper inside on each leg of the fork. Uh, is, and it's, I should say, it's kind of like an
1: inverted fork, I guess. Essentially, I mean, essentially, they're just upside down twin tube dampers that would be out of a car. I yeah. mean, they're, it's, it's all done in house, they're all custom, but yep. it's literally just a shock absorber. Like from a car, and it's got a rod sticking out of it, the shaft, and the it's mounted upside down in the carbon fiber fork leg. So if you've ever seen a Lauf, uh, that fork, it looks very similar. It looks similar to a Lauf, but it is very, 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 very different in its function. It's yeah, it's a damped system. It's not just using rubber bands. It's actually a (laughs) a, it's actually a fork. (laughs) Yep,
0: exactly. Suspension fork. Yeah. Um, it's got some really clever things to it. So first of all, it's manufactured out of carbon. The upper, the steer tube is also carbon. Mm-hmm. The linkage design and everything else is all carbon. The dampers are contained within the actual fork. Uh, the prototype, when you look at it, it actually has Fox shocks uh, that were the prototypes on there. Yeah. Um, and that was what was used. So basically, it's like, you know, if you think about it, it's damper technology from what you would see on a shock. Yes. Think less fork and think more like a shock in terms of the damper technology into each one of the legs on this guy. Yeah. Uh, In some respects, I'll talk about it compared to the RS1 because the RS1 is like an inverted fork like this, and it's carbon fiber, so there's some similarities. Uh, This one is going to be much more stiff as a whole structure. Mm -hmm. Uh, The reason for that is because that – I, I don't know the engineering speak, and there's probably very specific terms for this, but the RS1 kind of operates on one plane going down. It has two things that run parallel to each other, and that's it. Yep. However, this has a linkage design that extends backwards, so it adds a bit of like a square to it, so it can actually get a little bit more rigidity out of the whole thing rather than just being operating on kind of one axis like yeah. that. Yeah. So, it's going to be way stiffer. Uh, they actually anticipated needing to do some more things to stiffen it, but then once they built it, they're like, nope, never mind. This thing is crazy stiff yeah. in terms of the torsional rigidity. Uh-huh. Uh, it's got uh, – it- in my mind, it's not the most attractive fork I've seen, that's yeah. for sure. <laughs> but at the same time, it's also uh, much better looking than many of the weird linkage designs that you see on the front end of a bike. And chances are, if this sort of thing starts to catch on, we won't think it looks ugly. It will just start to look normal. So, of course. It just, you know, just looks different. It just looks different. Yeah. Uh, so some really interesting things that, that come with this. So if you think about it, the rear end of your bike has a linkage. And what that linkage does is that, I mean, among amongst other things, it lets your axle travel in a specified path mm-hmm. that isn't just going to be, you know, directly following an arc that the rear wheel would around a single pivot point or something. Yes. Uh, that com- brings a lot of, like, benefits in the sense that you can brake or you can go down deeper into the travel and you can maintain consistent feeling with yeah. the suspension. Or uh, if you have tension on there with, like, the chain and the drivetrain in the back, then you can have consistent performance. Um, in the front, you might have braking force or you, you know your front end might be diving and with the current just telescopic fork, the problem with that is the fact that you know your wheel path won't move and thusly your, your suspension will start to bind and you won't get the ideal performance according to Dave Weagle. yes this is the problem that hasn't been solved that he wants to solve yeah. by giving a dynamic axle path. With the front end, mm-hmm. which allows the front wheel to move in, in I guess, in relation to the terrain and the forces that are going into it, move dynamically to create a more stable bike. Mm-hmm. Is that a good way to sum it up? Very much, yeah. Okay. So uh, what I want to know, Steve, uh, I'll, I'll talk about the business stuff later behind this because okay. I think that's an interesting part of it. Okay, But I want to know what you think of this. Other than the fact that $2,700
1: is insanely expensive. Yeah. Because <laughs> it is. It is. What do you think about this thing? Um, I think it's an interesting, interesting design, and it's another way to go about solving the problem of bushings, glide bushings, basically. Mm-hmm. That's what most other forks work on is a bushing setup. Yeah. The problem with bushings is that they bind up. Mm-hmm. They you see multiple directions of forces on a fork. It's not just straight up and down. Yeah. And so when you see those, those different, I guess, forces front to back, side to side, at different angles of vertical, you know, depending on how you hit an object, it actually changes the characteristic of the fork. You can't control that sort of stuff.
0: Right. Try your best with rebound damping, low and high speed compression. You can tune it, but then there are certain things that are just not being adjusted for.
1: Yes, absolutely. So I, I like that they went about doing something different to solve that problem. But I also think that this is a lot. It's a, a lot, lot to do this. This is a lot of engineering to solve a problem that I don't think is really that big of a problem. Got it. So you think that it might be overly complex? <clears throat> I think it's overly complex. I think that it's, uh, it's a very interesting thing. I think it would have been a really good idea to be a prototype just to learn new things. Um, I don't think this does anything astronomically better. Or solves any really big real world problems that warrant a $2,700 price tag that makes it worth it for anybody.
0: It makes sense why it's that expensive to <clears> me. Well, um, yeah, it's, it's almost
1: 2,000 grams of carbon fiber. That's expensive stuff. Yeah. And That's then a, add to it
0: two dampers. Yes. So basically two rear shocks mm-hmm. thrown into an all carbon fiber design up front. Yeah that's like that's expensive like and when you start to think of it that way $2,700
1: actually starts to seem like a little bit of a bargain like they I I feel like their margins might not be as high as we think no I Um, I think this thing costs a lot of money to I mean just the engineering and the design in general I think costs them a lot of money to get this figured out right yeah
0: so I mean it's I think that it's uh I bet that it rides really well Mm -hmm. I bet that it rides better than a standard fork absolutely um the challenges that I see, at least from the business side of things, is, number one, a $2,700 fork, like we talked about, is extremely hard for for most people to justify. And mm-hmm. when I say most people, I mean 99% of the market, right? Yeah. And that's 99% of a very small market. I think dentists might love this <laughs> Dentists will love it, yep. Yeah. Uh, but that's 99% of a small market because what I'm talking about is the type of mountain biker that would be willing to upgrade parts on his bike which mm-hmm. I know this might sound crazy to all of us listeners. You're part of that 1%. Like it's a really small portion of mountain bikers that are serious, which is already yeah. such a small population. Yeah. So, uh, but they know this, I mean, they're from the bike industry. They understand that, you know, yeah. competitive cyclist, it states it right there. They're not just for the average cyclist. They aren't for the average bike rider. Heavens. Yeah. No, yeah. they're for a competitive cyclist. Yep. So, uh, they get it for sure. Um, and I'm sure they've got things planned out but with a $2700 fork with something like this that is solving a problem that clearly the average people don't really know exists although they experience it regularly yeah
1: that's the that's a really tough sell i mean they basically they exponentially niched themselves i think in yeah. this design which is fine uh-huh you know cannondale did a, i mean the the lefty is another uh, mm-hmm. example of something that is very different solving a problem yep you know cannondale got rid of the the binding aspect by putting a needle bearing setup into the fork so that no matter what force is against that it's gliding on needle bearing so therefore you have less of that force effect yeah totally so
0: um And the lefty is so associated with the Cannondale brand, right? Of course. And that's why perhaps it hasn't sold as it should have. People say it looks weird, but honestly, people say that about anything Cannondale does because that's the message they're used to saying about Cannondale. Yeah. So when this comes out from a brand that's separate, it'll be interesting to see how it could catch on. Um, OEM spec, you know, I could see some brands... Specking this OEM with like the most expensive build of their bike. Yeah. Um, If that starts to happen, then you start to see people just having the fork. Hopefully then the messaging would be able to be communicated by more people that like, oh, whoa, this thing is really good. Um, I I have to feel like within like part of the strategy, getting people to actually ride this to recognize that they have a problem currently with their fork and then recognize that this fixes the problem. That would have to be part of it. The tricky part with that is the fact that people aren't very good at perceiving differences like this. Even if this is probably pretty substantial, but people aren't used to, you know, perceiving those dis- those differences. So like, it gets hard, man. This is like a really complex problem to solve. I'm glad they're doing it though, mm-hmm. because I feel like uh, this is one where more brands should be thinking out the box like this, out mm-hmm. of the box like this.
1: Yeah. But what I also don't like if you go into their into their technical side of this they discuss um the lag performance is is one of their you know areas that they go when you go to the whatever go deep page yeah and i don't like i don't feel like there's enough truth to this the comments that they make about lag performance and hysteresis, which is hysteresis Let's is explain basically explain this. Yeah. So hysteresis is the explanation of um the suspension when you hit an input, mm-hmm. how long it really takes your damping system to start counteracting that. Got or it. start working with it. Okay. The only thing that these that this Trust Fork does differently than a standard damper in a normal fork Mm -hmm. is that it's a twin tube design.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. So it's just, you can YouTube videos on what a twin tube shock looks like. I'm not going to explain how that works. Right. It's a little bit different and it's a through shaft. So there's a few little benefits to that, but it doesn't create anything worldly changing and worldly different that warrants them saying that a standard fork that isn't on a lever arm. Mm-hmm. The suspension on this, the actual damping on this suspension, is on a lever arm, so it inherently has lag. Yeah, that's just kind of the way it's going to work. Whereas a standard fork is your shock, right. it is your damper, so it is more direct and has less hysteresis inherently. Before you start introducing other forces like your, you know, lateral force and you know, heat and all yeah. the different things that you do have that you're associated with when it comes to suspension motion, but I think that there's not enough truth in that for them to make all of this statement in their tech side. So there's a lot of little things that I'm just like, "Mm." as the marketing guy, right? Like, you know, you you want
0: to say we need five bullet points that that hit on, you know, pros. So then we can, you know, basically like knowledge points that we can share out. You know what I mean? And I'm sure that this is definitely – I'm sure that there is a bit of a perk with this, right? Mm-hmm. But it's, like you said, perhaps placing it as its own point is something that maybe somebody will never perceive, right, right. in terms of on the trail. Yeah. It's kind of tricky. I mean, like, uh, you know, marketing a product like this is 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 hard, especially when you're dealing with um, – the the vocal minority out there, and mm-hmm. it is a minority, although it's it's perhaps larger than some, is very much against expensive bike parts becoming mm-hmm. more expensive, which are forks becoming more expensive. Of course, you know it's it's kind of tough. But um, I am th- com- oh, sorry, good. Yeah, go ahead. No, yeah I was did. just going to say, but I think that from the marketing perspective, from everything else that they've done, I, th- I feel like they've taken a good approach so far yeah. in terms of the launch and the information they're providing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like they've got a good team. And I feel like I, you know, I I would ride with that on my bike.
1: I know a lot of people say like I would never strap that. I, I totally would. I, yeah, I I wouldn't have a problem with it. I would love to see that. I would love to see if this thing is that much. I would love to see if it's actually twenty seven hundred dollars better. Yeah, or if my intuitions are correct. And and if you want, so and
0: and. To be, to be frank, we, we don't know the folks at trust. No. Um, we aren't angling to get a fork like this. Cause I guarantee you, even though they said they had a lot to sell, I guarantee you something like that would not be available for, I don't even know how long. So it's useless for us to bark up that tree. Oh, right. Yeah. Um, so what I'm getting at here though, I, I just want to give like a really logical argument is if you have a linkage system in the rear end, why in the world don't you have it in the front end? No, it's true, and that's kind of the argument that they threw out, and it's and it's it's a good one because sure maybe you don't need one, but at the same time having one, couldn't you perhaps design the front suspension to work even better like they've done with rear suspension? Mm-hmm. They probably could. So uh,
1: yeah, it's kind of interesting. Can I piss a lot of people off really quick? Yeah, go ahead. Proflex did this in 1995. Yeah, of course. Yeah, it's and an upside down. Mike Levy uh, yeah. mentioned this yeah. in his pink bike. It's career. an upside down. It's an inverted version of the Proflex front suspension. Yep.
0: And there are plenty of other companies that have come up with linkage design systems. Yes. Um, this that is, doesn't mean this
1: isn't great. Right. And, and this I'm this being is, more is, joking, you know, jovial than <laughs> yeah, anything yeah. when I made that Proflex yeah. statement, this I is, know they're different, but this
0: is probably in my opinion, the best looking linkage fork I've seen. <clears throat> Absolutely. Um, and here's the interesting thing. And I don't quite understand this. And I don't know if you've looked into this or saw this, but they've released it in 130 millimeters of travel. Uh-huh. And they said that it will work on a wide range of bikes. So uh, that's an interesting thing. And perhaps I haven't just looked into the science yet behind that, but we'll look into that further in terms of how it could, cause they said it could work on an XC bike or a one hundred and fifty mil bike. Um, so it's kind of interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. We'll look into this and we'll, uh, we'll get some more information, but really exciting. Uh, I'm going to leave with one nitpick. Uh, so the brand is called trust performance, which I think is very much engineered because they knew that they would have to have trust of the market in order to sell a product that was this expensive, that's this different. But do you inherently gain trust by calling yourself trust? <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, it, it, there's a lot of subconscious things with marketing that are pretty amazing. Like, okay. uh, yeah, uh, I believe that there was a thing with Sprite commercials um, where or with, with Sprite where they actually worked with other brands to just increase the amount of green that was present during uh, commercials during a Super Bowl. And then as a result, they actually ended up measuring an increase in sales in Sprite because it was green. So I, I know that sounds crazy, but it happens. Our subconscious drives a whole lot more of us than we think. So when you call something trust, it's very, you know, that's very deliberate. And as they say, you know, uh, people don't often know what to say, do or buy. And all you have to do is just tell them what to do. Right. That's like the, the snaky, uh, marketing guys approach with that. So, yeah. um, but I uh, just want to say it's called trust. I get that, uh, in my mind, the logo is not good, and right. I know that this is a small thing, Yeah, but the logo is soft angled, and I know that this seems really nitpicky, but it's soft angled, and it's handwritten, and it feels a bit fun and kind of, uh, I guess, uh, lighthearted, kind of teenager-ish. Uh-huh. Uh, and if you really, if I'm going to put something onto the front of my bike that costs as much as my bike, I want, you know, think of like a Toyota Tundra logo. Think of how squared off it is because mm-hmm. Toyota had to work so hard to, to explain to people that the Tundra is actually a tough truck. Mm-hmm. It's not just a weak little truck. Yeah. So they made that thing for its time when it first came out, just so you know, strong angled and buff looking and yeah. with these big, strong, and they think of the T for the Tundra. It's like very angular yes. and it's, it's resolute and it's got sharp angles mm-hmm. and it doesn't make any bowed, strange bendiness, right? And I, I know that that's a small thing, but man, I feel like this logo should have just been so bold and in your face and it would have been like, man, they're precise. Like, you know, these, these guys are, are, are right. And when I mean, right, I mean like, you know, right angle. In other mm. words, like they're, they're, they have a compass and the true North and they're sticking to it and you know, that sort of stuff. Rather than I look at that and I'm like, I don't know if they make kids or like tie dyed t-shirts at an
1: EDM festival or, or what, like with that sort of logo. Okay. You know? so, um, I think that it plays into their linkage design, the nonlinear design, Yeah, having okay. things done like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I also think that, you know, one of the things, maybe if you look at the new lefty logo. It's a very scripted, smooth, buttery. Yeah, I wonder if
0: they use that as inspiration. Yeah, I'm sure it's similar. It, yeah, I'm sure it was. You know, I, I don't th- want to say it was intentional. But I, gotta I think, think that, that the reasoning behind both of those on beforehand. Yeah, but who knows? <clears throat> yeah, and that's interesting too. I, I, I. <clears throat> I think that the lefty one makes sense because
1: mm-hmm. they were softening a very rigid design. Yes, and it's always been a very rigid design like very, in the their logo yeah. for the lefty, as well as the design of the lefty. Yeah, you have dual crown design. Yeah. It's very like robust and industrial, big giant carbon weave. You know, big upper dials. assembly. Yeah, and big and old knobs, and now the, they're like, let's make it more elegant. Elegant.
0: Yeah. So that's where it makes sense with that. Yeah. And I guess that yes, this is elegant. I guess with the fork, um, and I like the logo. It looks good. I just uh, I feel like. If you want my trust, you should have made something so bold. But that's just me. And who do I matter? I'm one person out of how many. So, yeah. Uh, anywho, uh, is that good on the message? That's the fork. The message for the message is is <laughs> communicated. So far, yeah. yeah. I think that the strangest thing at the end is that when you say it, it's called it's trust the message. That sounds very cultish. So, well, it's very evil bikes as we discussed. <laughs> yeah. I think the evil is probably like, darn it. You stole the name for our next bike. You yeah. Know? Um, okay. Uh, some other news. It's a little sad. Um, we're gonna cover the sad news and then end on the good news. Yes. Um, the sad news, Yolanda. Uh, she's she's a committed woman, Steve. She is. I don't know how to tell you this anymore. I know. She's a committed
1: woman. I know. Luca uh, Shaw. Yep. You son of a bitch. <laughs> I mean I'm very happy for you two. <laughs> I'm gonna have to be leap that one up. You might. Um
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I, I Yolanda Neff is who we're talking yeah. about. So and we've jokingly to, to recap for any new listeners here. Yes. We've jokingly just yeah, uh, she just like people have celebrity crushes, mm-hmm. she she was your she's your crush. Yeah. Uh, you think that she's adorable and you admire everything that she does on the bike and mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um so but we've kind of had fun with it on the podcast podcast. And just yeah. as, just as friends do. And they kind of tease each other about a crush. I've teased yeah, you, you about you totally the crush. Outed me. Yeah. And then all our listeners just jumped right in. Yeah. Um, so we have to stop that.
1: By the <laughs> way, we do need to stop that, and we need to respect them. Yes.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, Steve, Steve is happy that she has a relationship that makes her happy at this point. Because no matter what,
1: that's my end goal in this totally awkward and weird celebrity crushes. I just want her to be happy, whatever that
0: means. Let's focus on the good part then for her. Yes. Oh, I, I mean, I, yeah, I think it's good. I'm sure that she had a great team before, but she's now on Trek. Yeah, she's Trek. Yeah, Trek Factory with Emily Batty. Man, talk about like. Uh, um, those two pro women riders have so much personality, mm-hmm. I guess. And uh, Emily Batty does so much for like helping out with different. Uh, I see her like uh, giving talks at schools all the time, helping out with NICA, helping out with plenty of stuff. So yeah, she's lots very of women on bikes things. Yeah, yeah, very very much. public face. Absolutely, and she works hard for that. And then Yolanda is always a, a huge focus because. She, her bike handling skills are so good and Uh she's such a fun and comfortable personality when she's speaking, Uh you know, she's not very reserved or anything. Uh, so talk about like, like Trek way to go, uh, in a lot of ways, I, I, you know, I kind of poo-poo on track for being a bit vanilla and not really working very hard. Not saying that they got somebody edgy. They don't need to do that. No. But they've certainly got a lot of personality. They do. So they'll have a lot of stories to And tell. I think that's a dream team on the, on the
1: UCI. Heck, yeah, yeah. I think that's it's really good.
0: They'll be really good. Totally. Um, on other transfer news that is not confirmed, uh, Kate Courtney is rumored to be going to Scott to be Nino Schroeder's teammate. And – should we discuss the, the <laughs> I, part that you just told me? Yeah. Can so we I, discuss it? This? this is a rumor. Okay. I don't know if this is true, uh, but the rumor that I heard was that, uh, so I mean, so first of all, step back uh, okay. prior to world championships. Yes. And I want all of you listening to rate Kate Courtney's season. And you'd say that she had strong showings, but she didn't really deliver a solid performance that you felt like she was probably
1: capable of. Throughout the World Cup season, true. But I also think that she still delivered a good message of of positivity and drive, oh, heck and yeah. you know because she is an amazing cyclist. Oh yeah, and she just didn't give the results. I exactly think. that's and it's her first year as an elite. Absolutely, that's totally to be understood. Of course,
0: you know um, flashes of brilliance at the elite level are should be respected. Like it's it's extremely impressive to to ride at the front of those races. Absolutely. And she's done that a Mm -hmm. lot. Um, but she hasn't had the results. So I don't think I don't think many people had her pen down for she's gonna win the world championships. Like let's be honest, people No, absolutely not. Nobody saw that coming. Yeah, and you would not be faulted for that. And the reason for that is because her results just hadn't proved there. It wasn't that she wasn't fast enough. It wasn't that she wasn't you know, insert whatever thing. It was yeah. just her results. I mean, hadn't who did we
1: really seen. think was gonna win worlds? Did you think Monica Longvod. Longvod or maybe, maybe Yolanda. Yolanda? You know, there was maybe two one or two others that we yeah. thought might be up there. The but rest, we did not think that Kate Courtney would be there. Right, totally. The rest were kind of like uh you know, if something
0: happens. Or if just a crazy good day. Yeah. You know, but it was really between Annika Longvaud and Yolanda Neff in in most people's minds. Yeah. Um, But Kate Corney put in an impressive performance at Worlds and obviously ended up winning. Well, we heard that, you know, if you look at it from the specialized side of things, Annika delivered all year. Mm -hmm. She destroyed short track. Mm -hmm. She did. She, you know, rode all the way through in the World Cup and dominated that. Yeah. So... If you're specialized and looking at that, and then you have this, you know, uh, elite, she moved up, she probably had a great year, but, you know, uh, decisions are, are tough sometimes, and you just have to limit things down in terms of budget. Who knows what they have going on with their teams? I don't know. But yeah. we heard, I heard, that specialized actually made the decision before world champs to let Kate go um, or to perhaps not re sign her. I have no clue what the specifics uh-huh. are behind that. And I hope this doesn't hurt anybody at specialized or anything else by leaking rumors like this that yeah. may not be true, but. <clears throat> That's what we heard. And if so, wouldn't you be kicking yourself because that was such yeah. a popular victory? Right? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, man. Yeah. Especially just like Grr. um you know, but that's how it goes. You're it gambling. Is, I mean that's racing. Yeah, yeah and that's gambling. Yeah. Right? Like when you run a team, you are gambling.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, we're not really faulting horrible. specialized. No for way. anything here.
0: They had no way of seeing it. Like not in my wrong. mind, if they had, if if somebody said, if a being counter said, you have to have one person on your team,
1: I would have picked Annika too Absolutely. prior to that. Yeah, like totally. Yeah, like uh, why wouldn't you have? As much as you thought, <laughs> okay, the growth and the mm-hmm. you know the uh, what what we know Kate Courtney can become yeah. or wh- the direction she's even going already. Love to have her on. But yeah. at the same time, who's delivering for you right now? And Annika still has a lot of
0: runway <clears throat> left. Absolutely. So, yeah. 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 It's it's um, kind of crazy. Yeah, but, totally. Uh, so it's rumored that she's going to Scott um, to be Nino's teammate. Super team yeah. over there. I will be a super team. Last one is Aaron Gwynn. He's not confirmed to be with YT. He's a free agent at this point. No. Oh. And there's rumors of him possibly going to Trek again. There's even rumors of him talking to Specialized again. Oh, God. <laughs> um, but I think that the
1: hottest rumor is him talking to Intense, which hmm. okay. SoCal Company. That, yeah, that, that makes more sense than anything just because of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but there's also, I think, rumors of him continuing with YT. So we'll see where he what goes. What about the rumors of him going to Yeti?
0: Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> they don't, don't have a downhill there. bike yet. He but, was you there know. once.
1: You could just throw on a, a dual crown onto the 150 and you be just, set. Or we could just put a 303 World Cup back in service. It's yeah, fine. put it back in. Yeah, yeah. It's okay. Put me in, coach. It would do well. <laughs>
0: um, so, uh, yeah, anywho, uh, team rumors are about to start uh, flying. Um, yeah. and so stay tuned for those. Yeah, I'm sure Richie Root is – I don't know when he signed contracts or anything else like that, but – once he closed out the year on, on a double winning streak like that and doing really well, I'm yeah. sure that hopefully he waited until then to sign. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you always hope, right? Yep. Uh, last thing, or I should say, second to last thing to cover is Rampage. Mm hmm. Just happened. Yeah. Then we're going to cover an event that actually happened a few weeks ago we haven't talked about, yeah. but uh, Rampage happened. Did you watch any of it? Uh, no, I did not. I've
1: been yeah too busy. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I was working from home yesterday. It was Nevada Day, um, and I was working from home. Well, it and wasn't Nevada Day.
1: It was the observed holiday of Nevada. Day. Indeed, Nevada this Day is true. October thirty first. This is true. Yeah. Uh,
0: so i I put it up on the TV while I was working. You know, at our table there. Yeah. And so I'd tune in every once in a while. Basically, whenever I'd hear Tyler or Cam McCall freak out, and then I'd look up uh, and then mm-hmm. I'd see what's what's going on. Yeah. What's his brother doing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh man! But that uh, massive kudos to those riders. I feel like they're in a bit of a tough, I think a lot of them enjoy it. Don't get me wrong. It's not like they're forced to do it. You know, yeah. they're choosing to be there. Yeah. Um, but in in one respect, they're almost forced to be there just because that's what their sponsors really want. Of course. Um, because exposure from that event is huge. Um, it gets end up, you know, it gets picked up on USA today. It gets picked mm-hmm. up on like everything or yeah. good morning America or whatever. Else
1: I still like stuff. all year long, every year, my non-cyclist friends on Facebook literally tag me in posts of yeah. Red Bull rampage stuff. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yep. that's Brett Reeder. Yeah, yeah. That's Tyler McCall. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't yeah. do
0: that stuff. Nope. I, I mostly stay on the ground, but thank you. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yes, I (laughs) get it. It's crazy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's a terrifying event to watch and Mm -hmm. I don't honestly enjoy watching it. Um, it's just a little too scary. And I think a lot of that, I mean, I honestly had a bit of that before Paul crashed Mm -hmm. and hurt himself, but Paul being such a close friend of mine, once he was hurt, it really like, uh, you know, when you're doing something and you feel like you shouldn't do it. Yeah and then like robbing a bank. The, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. We do that all the time. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um but the the feeling that you're like the very thing you fear it ends up happening and you feel really bad about it. Yeah. Like you know what I mean like uh, you don't you feel like you shouldn't do something because you know something bad's going to happen. And I don't want to watch NASCAR because yeah. I know there's going to be, be a, a huge crash. Yeah. And then that crash happens and you feel really bad about it. And when paul crashed there was that plus the personal hurt of knowing a friend was genuinely you know changed for life yeah. um and that 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 hasn't gone away for me um Fair. i think the event is really good like it was painful to me to see a guy like cam zink he's so driven uh-huh. like and cam has a ton of self belief right yeah um but you know his shoulder and, and i'm glad honestly that his shoulder came out before the event just cuz you know, he saves things for game day, and he would have thrown some really big stuff. Yeah, and who knows what could have happened if his shoulder came out on landing on something that was yeah, really especially highly after it's happening on a four foot drop. Oh gosh, yeah, 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 and not you know every life is precious, but then to see it just makes it feel, I guess, the precious more immediate. Mm-hmm. When you see that, like he has kids there and his wife, and I would say, yeah, yeah oh, exactly. It's just really, uh, it's yeah. scary to me yeah. uh, to see that the consequences are just so high. But uh, it was relatively safe this year mm-hmm. um, in terms of riders not getting hurt. You know, the conditions are still crazy, but yeah. um, it's really good to see that. Yeah, totally. My takeaway, you know, Brett Reader won, but really. I'm just glad to see everyone's safe, of course,
1: relatively speaking. Absolutely. So, um, did uh, you see Greg Minar's comment? By the way, no. What did he say? So he he commented something, and I'm going to paraphrase it. But it was, um, you remember back in the early 2000s when real downhillers were doing it. Essentially, <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. I was like, Ooh. wait, what? <laughs> that's interesting. I guess maybe he was meaning that like riders just
0: from the World Cup were doing it,
1: and that's the and thing perhaps is, it was just taken or it was poorly said. perhaps. well, no, and it was said exactly, and that's the takeaway from it. That's what I've, you know, you've really. He's from the early days of downhill when the mainstream UCI guys had to be the gnarly crazy guys. Yeah. Now those guys have an entire year that they have to be on for their season. They have their sponsors that they need to get their race results for. So they're shying away from things like rampage and you're getting a lot more of free ride, the free ride type style. slope style guys that are, you know, doing it. Yeah. And it's that's, totally different. And so it's, it's basically, it's not that the gnarly downhillers aren't doing it anymore. It's that the UCI downhillers aren't doing it anymore. And the gnarly, yeah. you know, you see yeah. the difference too.
0: Um, Kyle Strait, for example, th- throwed a massive
1: suicide no-hander, which
0: mm-hmm. terrifying.
1: Off that big rock drop.
0: Oh gosh, yeah, and he let the front end drop so far down. Yeah, um, but I thought for sure uh, that wasn't going to go. Yeah, it's pretty at scary. All. <laughs> yeah, um, but you see, like with him, uh, with Aggie. I mean, Aggie was hurt, but um, uh, even with uh, Sorgi, like you see, like these older riders. Mm-hmm. Um, I should, you know, older, more seasoned, perhaps. They take a a sketchy line down and they throw one or two big tricks. Mm -hmm. And then you see a guy like uh, Ethan Nell or you see Brett Reeder. Mm -hmm. And the way that Andrea Lacondegui makes up for it is just by terrifying speed going down the whole thing. Yeah. But Brett Reeder and Ethan Nell were throwing like a full-on slope style run of tricks down it. Rampage used to just be like, make it to the bottom on a gnarly line. And, and maybe
1: do one cool looking jump the whole
0: thing. Yeah, yeah, and it's 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 comes from the skiing world. Mm-hmm. They go to these crazy couars, and there's a the, the I, God I don't bless know what you. they call it now. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know what they call it now, but it used to be the extreme comps. Um, but it might be like the free skiing world champs or something like that now. Okay. But th- that you're genuinely you go into these crazy things that should not be skied, mm-hmm. and you're judged on your creativity and execution on a line. Mm-hmm. You might throw in a backflip or a 360, and you'll get some points for that. But people are not aiming to trick everything, right? Yeah. Um, but and that's kind of where Rampage started. It was the same concept, just applied to dirt. Gotcha. But now it's just become like a, it's become a Crankworx slope style course, top to bottom. Yeah. With a handmade death for yeah. consequence. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, not that it is in another circumstance, but yeah, ugh. Anyways. Yeah. Gives me the willies thinking about it, uh, on the much safer side of things. <laughs> <laughs> not for tires. <laughs> yeah. Not for tires. Yeah. Oz trails off road happened. Yes. Uh, we didn't get to go. Uh, I was traveling uh, mm-hmm. during that week. Um, you had a crazy schedule that mm-hmm. we weren't able to work it out. Um, I'd love to go to this race next year. I think so too. I think fun.
1: I think next year, the only races I really want to do are three epic rides. Races. Yeah. Yeah. They're I want to do grand junction, Carson yeah. and Oz trails. Grand junction. I wanna yeah. Be fun.
0: Uh, Oz trails happened. Yes. I I told people that it's death by a thousand hills Uh and indeed it is also, it is death by a thousand hills after getting feedback from people on the event. Uh, the big story was the rain that came in and the flats that resulted. I know that sounds strange that rain caused flats, but it totally did. Uh Here's why. So the surface, in the end, ended up causing the flats. It's crushed limestone, mm-hmm. so it's basically like if you took limestone and you'd like genuinely crushed it down to like you would have in landscaping, almost like, like you know, three you quarter like
1: inch jagged, fractured rock. It's extremely sharp. Mm-hmm.
0: But the thing is, and they make these trails, they kind of like cut the trail in and the trails at Bentonville, it's basically, they, they raced on a 50 mile pump track basically. Yeah. It's like, it never stops undulating. Yeah. And then sometimes you go up a hundred foot climb and then you drop down a hundred foot climb or 50 foot climb and go down. Yeah. But then after that, it's just an endless pump track basically. Yeah. So, uh, but the way they make these trails is they end up cutting them in and then for drainage and for sustainability on the trails, what they'll do is they'll actually bring it and the limestones everywhere around you, but they'll, they'll kind of surface a lot of the trail with yeah. that and they'll compact it. Mm-hmm. Right. So then what happens is when you're going over that and you have a huge amount of traffic. Because you just had a ton of amateurs race it. Yeah. And then you had a bunch of pros that that ends up when you go over those and somebody hits their brakes or they just hit the rock at just a right angle. It flips that rock up. So whereas where it was punched down before now, little razor blade shows its head. Yes. Add in water. And then what you get is all the other soil. That's kind of mixed into the top of those rocks. Into that aggregate has drained out. Drained out. Yeah. And then it causes the rocks to shift even more. Yep. And then you get people riding it at race pace. And then you're basically riding on a bed of nails. And that's basically what ended up happening. Yeah. And people just started slicing their tires left and right. Yeah, uh, People that made choices to go for like you know lighter tires, uh, it was not the right choice. Bad. Yeah. Uh, Keegan on a hardtail uh, made his Maxxis Aspen 2.25XOs work all the way to the end. Mm-hmm. Pretty impressive. Jeff Kabush was not so lucky. Um, but a big thing with this too is the fact that Keegan – was at the front of the race. Whereas a lot of riders were not at the front of the race. Yeah. So the difference that you get with that is the fact that you have a rider getting fresh tracks, so to speak, versus a rider getting totally torn up stuff. Yeah. So they're going to get more flats. Absolutely. Um, Keegan said that he had to take his time very carefully and you know, he really was cognizant of that. Um, he crashed at the end on a slippery bridge and slammed super hard and was terrified, but he he still won. Yeah. Still made it, made it last. Um, One shout-out that I want to give. So Aaron Huck won the women's race, Mm -hmm. Um, but something that was really cool, uh, Chloe uh, Chloe Woodruff, Keegan's teammate, uh, she runs the Stance Pivot team as well, she got a flat, and I believe she had a flat front or rear, and then Aaron Huck had the the opposite. Um, Aaron Huck had the opposite flat, and they were sitting there. And um, at this point, uh, I believe, so I can't remember the exact specifics, but Chloe basically said, like, we both have flats here. One of us isn't going to finish. And I believe that that Chloe had some other issues or something else, so she was like, you know what, Aaron, take my wheel, and she gave her her good wheel, so Aaron could continue, and oh, Aaron wow. ended up winning. How nice. cool is that? That is actually really different cool. teams. Yeah, they aren't even on the same team. They're they're straight up competitors, right? Yes. Like fierce competitors. Yeah. And she did that, so like that just speaks to the character of Chloe Woodruff. Like, yeah. that's really, really, really cool. Um, that was a cool story. I thought. That yeah. Came out of it, absolutely. So, um, yeah, I want to do it next year. I can't wait. Apparently, all the amateurs had an absolute blast.
1: Um, well, because they got all the real fresh tracks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, true story. Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, but plenty of flats that day too, and everybody loved the town. I swear that that's got to be like the coolest race. I can't wait to go because it was cool even without a race. So, uh, with that, Stephen, uh, that was a lot of time on that stuff. That was. But let's get into some. Let's questions. do some questions. Question: It's a ridiculous question. False. That's debatable. <laughs> All right, Stephen. Uh, let's get into some questions, and I guess let's just go
1: long this time. I yeah. Think. And I have no idea what these questions are. I have you know, not pre looked at any of these questions.
0: Yeah, yeah. So uh, we'll rip through them, and uh, we'll end up, uh, I guess, taking them not one by one. There's just too many. Uh, yeah. We'll just kind of go through, and we have some filtered out, and we'll go through there. Yeah. First question. Uh, this one comes from Cody. It says I have a 2018 Marin Hawk Hill, sweet bargain bike. That mm-hmm. one. Absolutely. Uh, and it comes with the it with it comes stock. With a 120 millimeter fork, yes. and I want to upgrade to a 140 millimeter. Okay. And Marin says I shouldn't go past 130. Okay. I was wondering if slightly changing the bike's geometry will do much harm,
1: and if you've seen any other fork swap similar to what I'm trying to do. Thanks. Uh, anybody I know that's played with it has played up to 130, and that's it. Yeah. I think you really end up getting that bottom bracket way too high, getting your center of gravity way too up and way too far back. Yeah. Um. I would honestly stick to a 130, and the thing you got to remember is 10 millimeters, especially going on a short travel bike, that's going to make a big difference. Yeah. It, it really will.
0: It will. Um, the 130 will change it a ton. Chances are if you feel like you need to upgrade your fork, going to a 140 would be a bit much yeah. on that bike. Yeah. I mean, and that's the thing. Is- I, I, I mean, it depends, I guess, on the t- terrain you're riding, but – yeah. Yeah, like you said, it doesn't seem like much, 10 millimeters, in terms of implications for geometry, but it does change a lot. Yeah,
1: and and I understand you're trying to basically say, okay, well, if 10 mils is going to make it better, then 20 millimeters is going to make it betterer. Mo' better. And that's not necessarily (laughs) true. Sometimes you don't need that huge astronomical difference to have that huge astronomical effect. Totally. So. I think that you really should stick to 130 and just put a really good fork on it and put a, you know, whatever's in your budget, yeah. put a good 130 mil fork and put a, you know, put a better shock in the rear if you want as well. But that's going to make a bigger difference than just skyrocketing the fork to 140. It's, you don't need to do that.
0: Yeah. I'd rather have a really good 120 millimeters of travel than mediocre 140. Absolutely. Yeah. Meaning like really good action, yeah. you know? Yeah. Uh, next one from Ben it says, great podcast guys. Thank you, Ben. Thanks for listening. Appreciate it. Thank you. If any of you are listening, which there are lots of you listening, many, many, many thousands, uh, you should share this podcast with people. It really does help. So uh, it helps it grow. Uh, he says, uh, I'm purchasing a new pivot trail 429 in the next few weeks and have the option of upgrading to the Fox DPX two rear shock. Do it. I'm a pretty big guy at six foot and 245 pounds. It's a big, do it. And have read that I might overwhelm the stock DPS shock.
1: Yes, I would say so. That's why I said do it twice (laughs) (laughs)
0: already. I I ride mostly XC and trail in the Phoenix, Arizona area. Is this an upgrade I should consider? Mm -hmm. Yeah, even though like the XC trails you'll find in Phoenix, like you can find it absolutely brutally gnarly stuff in Phoenix, but you can also find very flowy, ribbony stuff too. Yeah. Even if you're riding on that stuff, you're just going to get better performance, I think.
1: Absolutely. Better small bomb compliance, better bottom out resistance, especially for heavier riders because you're going to have that ability to play with your spring curve and not have to worry about overheating the oil and the damper circuits. Yep. So yes, more oil is more better for bigger riders. Mm-hmm. I used to take... Uh, Back in the day, my first SB66 carbon from Yeti came with a float CTD, you know, Mm -hmm. basically before the DPS was out. And I would find that after about four minutes on an enduro segment, for some reason, my rear end would feel a little harsh. (laughs) I'd get to the bottom and the rear shock would be like I could not touch it. And I had no – rear suspension. Yeah. I would lock up that shock. <laughs> yeah. Then I put a float X on it, solved all the problems. Yeah. So absolutely heavier rider, you do really need a bigger shock for any sort of aggressive riding whatsoever.
0: Agreed. He says, also considering a GPS unit, do you guys have a preference between the Element Bolt and it says Harkins Edge 520, but I'm sure Garmin is what I No, it's the mention. new Harkins.
1: <laughs> it's like Garmin actually, I don't even have a funny comment for that okay. right now, so go ahead.
0: Uh, it says, cheers and keep up the good work. I've used both yeah. Uh, edge 520 and the bolt. Bolt's fine. Mm-hmm. It's fine. Uh, edge 520 is fine. No, I think <laughs> like, I- like the the thing is, so uh, I'll give you more specifics on that. Uh, basically, there is no clear like standout. This is way better than another. Yeah.
1: Each one has its benefit. Each yep. one has its Can't drawbacks. make a bad
0: choice. If you yeah. go with either of them, it's a good choice. Yeah. Uh, something that frustrates me with the Wahoo is the app tends to, um, have problems syncing sometimes. At least it did. Okay. This is geez, a year ago now. So I bet they've improved it. But a year ago when I was using a bolt, I was having problems with that. Okay. Um, and I actually went from Garmin edge 520 to a bolt, mm-hmm. um, and then to the standard, um, to the standard Wahoo, um, element that they have too. I've tried that. Okay. That very similar performance between those, the two Wahoo ones. Um, and I went back to Garmin, and the reason I went back to Garmin is just because the ecosystem made a little bit more sense to me. I don't have Garmin sensors on my bike, okay. uh, but I have a Garmin watch, Yeah. and it uses Garmin Connect. And then now I have the Garmin scale, and I have, and I know you can get a Wahoo scale too. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, anyways, it just made more sense, and I I, I feel like um, uh, was well, definitely something I can't say on this. So I'll change gears, and I'll just say that the the one thing I can say is that. If you're using the edge 520, you can put on trail maps and those sort of things. If you actually look up on, um, it can be a little tricky on putting the trail maps on, but if you look up on DC rainmaker.com, yeah. he has a thing to show you how to get maps on there. And some of those maps will have like county trails and that sort of stuff, which is pretty cool. Cool. Whereas the elements, uh, bolt, uh, the maps tend to be a little bit more simplified. The Wahoo one. Okay. Um, they're really easy to follow though, in an urban setting or on roads. Uh, you really can't go wrong either way. Yeah. There you go. Yep. Uh, from a random guy. That's the quote. Uh, says, I have 20, I have a 2016 Trek Superfly 9.7, and I have skinny 2.0 and 2.25 tires. That's what he says. 2.25 isn't that skinny. Um, no. No. Oh, that's normal.
1: Especially on a Superfly.
0: Yeah, yeah. What are you doing? Going downhilling? Yeah, yeah. He says, I'd like to upgrade to a wider tire but don't know about what the maximum width would be for my rim. Any help would be greatly appreciated. Still five stars all day, every day. I actually think that if you look up perhaps on envy's website, they talk about like for certain internal widths, what tire width they recommend. If not give that a goog, Cause you can see a ton of different brands have said for this tire, they're starting to do this. Now wheel manufacturers are actually saying this is the width we recommend for this tire. Of course. Yep. if yep. you're running 2.25s, uh, anything from, I and mean, if you, if you have like 19 millimeter internal width rims, then a 2.25 might balloon a bit, right? Yes. Um, but if you don't have uh, 19 millimeter internal width rims, uh, then you have 21s 23s 25s, something like that then yeah 2.25s are fine
1: yeah and i think i think you're honestly um, on that bike i think you're gonna be like 21 to 23 mil internal so yeah no more than two three that's yeah. for sure i yeah. wouldn't i wouldn't go any wider than that yeah um, especially i don't even know if that bike will handle that big of a yeah it might not clear it yeah it might not clear in the rear Especially the chainstay.
0: Yeah. Um, so I guess, but the the important thing is you can look up on manufacturers; they're starting to actually list these things. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, it's pretty cool to have. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, next one is from Marco. He says, "In response to your question about the name of the abominable snowman in Italy, the answer is yes. It is called the Yeti, in Italian. You. Yeah." look at you yeah cultured fella yeah over there with cultured, your gelato uh, and stuff tin hat wearing so, <laughs> he says the only difference is that this specific creature has bushier whiskers below its snout and his pristine white fur is permanently stained with red spaghetti sauce
1: <laughs> and he works at the Maserati factory <laughs> yeah.
0: three days a week yeah exactly because that's all they work there oh uh, it's awesome uh, pretty cool man yeah uh, thanks Marco for reaching out uh, yeah, from we're answering the real questions that really need answers <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I like that one I yeah. thought it was you know this is more of an announcement but it's, it's good uh, thanks Marco uh, and cheers all the way down there in Italy. Um, glad you, glad you're listening. Um, okay. Reed says, hi, I recently upgraded from a three by nine to a one by 10 drivetrain." Okay. So that's for the kids that don't understand these things. We used to have multiple gears up front. Uh-huh. So that's three different chain rings up front. And then you had nine cogs of the cassette in the rear. Exactly. The good old days. Yeah. Yep. Crawl gears, man. Yeah. Changed to a one by 10. He says, I have a Shimano SLX rear derailleur with a GS cage. Okay. And a Shimano cassette with the Wolf Tooth 42 tooth cassette extended and goat link.
1: Okay. Yeah. You need the Goat link to go wide range on a GS. Yeah.
0: He says, I'm really unhappy with the shifting performance. Yes, you are. (laughs) (laughs) He says, I understand why the shifting is bad. So I'm wondering if a different cassette like the Shimano 1142 or the Sunrace 1142 is going to change that. Thanks. Keep up the good work. Five out of five on iTunes.
1: No. So here's the thing about the the Linnaretz uh, goat link. Mm-hmm. Um, it lowers the derailleur cage so you have a bigger chain capacity, but it totally screws up your B limit. Which so the
0: B-limit is basically the di- the space or the distance between the top derailleur pulley and the cogs on the cassette.
1: Yes. And so what it does is it actually makes it so that you basically get more B-limit out of it automatically. So without having to, you know, put mm-hmm. the – it's just lowering your derailleur down and back a little bit. But what it does screw up is it screws up your chain wrap. Yep. So your chain wrap, you really need – your chain wrapped around the cassette tooth or the cassette teeth more than what the goat link lets you do. Yeah. And so the problem with that is you get slow and clunky shifting. Yeah. Putting a new cassette isn't going to change that. Right. What I will tell you is that yeah, I mean, really, honestly, I hate to say this, but you don't have a whole lot of choice. Yeah. What you're going to have to do, and I'm going to have to research this, um, I think Wolf Tooth makes uh, the cage optimization system that moves the upper pulley back so that you don't have to run the goat link, and it will basically make it so that you'll have proper chain wrap with the proper setup, or you might end up having to go to a 10-speed, like an XT derailleur that they do make that um the cage plate system with that offset upper pulley
0: i've got one better
1: what do you got they can go to
0: worldwide cycler go to mtv podcast click on the store click on the worldwide cycler link and then just get a sram nx eagle group set it's only like 375 bucks for the whole thing
1: and cranks chain cassette derailleur shifter as long as his wheel is 11 speed road ready and that's if the that's, only thing. The free hub has to be eleven speed road.
0: And if you can't get a free hub for that, then uh, yeah, you can get a more modern one by Shimano drivetrain. I bet for for a bargain. Um, so check that out. I, that's what I would do. If you're on the one by ten like that, and you do have the budget to spend something below five hundred dollars like that, that's what I would check out. Because I mean, if you're going to buy a, an expensive cassette, it's <clears throat> going to be two to three hundred bucks. So you might as well get good shifting off the bat. So
1: yeah, that's um, my thought.
0: Totally. Um, I just I've never seen really really good. The only drivetrain hack that I see like reliably good performance out of is an E13 TRS race cassette or yeah.
1: some the, just an E13 cassette. Yeah, but his problem isn't the isn't actually the cassette,
0: right? It, and yeah. but that, what I'm saying mm-hmm. is that's the only drivetrain hack that I see that p- provides good performance on the long term. I know somebody's out there saying like, no, I've changed it around and I've had great performance all the way through. And I know that, but it's a lower likelihood, I guess, for many folks to have that. Yeah. So no, that's fair. Yeah. Um, okay. Chris, Chris from Nashville. Sure. Cool. Chris says you guys have the best cycling podcast hands down. You said it, bud. Yeah. I like that. Thanks. He says, he says, I gave you five stars long ago and I give you more if I could. Ooh, nice. Well, you can just
1: tell people about the podcast. Yeah. That's like a, that's like That's like giving us five stars every time you tell someone.
0: Yeah, it's pretty sweet. He says, I've heard you guys say that you shouldn't put much pressure on your bars if you're using good technique with your hands, he's saying. Yes. Right? He says, I find it easy to balance with no pressure on the bars and I'm off the saddle, meaning standing up. Mm-hmm. But when I'm in the saddle and I'm pressing on the bars. It's more pronounced on long rides, so much so that my hands will become numb. I experience it it more on my specialized Epic than my specialized Enduro, which makes sense because of the geometry differences. Mm -hmm. I feel like the fit of the bikes is dialed in. Am I doing something wrong? I'm a longtime mountain biker at 44 years old. I'm six feet tall, weigh 200 pounds, and ride a large-sized bike. I ride in the mid-south and southern Appalachians. Should I make some position or posture changes? I'd love to hear any advice you have to offer. No, that's
1: all absolutely normal. I think you need to do more core exercises. Sure. Um, that can help, um, hand numbness.
0: A lot of it. So like a lot of people say that you need like ergonomic grips. I don't buy into that, that you need ergonomic grips. Um, I think that a lot of it has to do with bar bend a lot Mm -hmm. of the time. And if you have an Epic, you may have a flat bar on there that has that and flat bars, people many times put them on wrong. Mm -hmm. In other words, they rotate them forward or back you know, in position to where they should be. And then it really changes the sweep and the angle of the bars. And it puts your wrist into a weird position that puts more weight on the outside or inside of your hand and thus causing
1: the numbness and mm -hmm. blood flow loss, blah, 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 blah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So I would check that out to make sure that your bars are rotated well. And the way that you do that is there's usually hash marks on your handlebar that will show a center point. And that center point should be at the center point of your stem.
1: Not necessarily, but yes. Typically, yes. But sometimes depending on the rise or drop of your stem, that's not always true. Very true. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You might want to change that up. Yeah. And slacker head tube angle bikes. You definitely do not do that. You roll that, you know, basically that hash mark. That's the middle. Yeah. It will go down below the center of the, the, uh, stem clamp. Right. Exactly. So, yeah. Um, so yeah,
0: uh, the, hopefully that, that can help with that. It, it's, it's pretty normal, but in, and if you're getting numbness, I don't think that going to gloves with more padding, I don't think ergonomic grips. I don't think those things help.
1: I think softer rubber grips might be helpful. Yep. Yeah. 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 Something that allows your hand to rest more comfortably and supports it more evenly. Yeah. Like you and I, you discovered, and then I followed suit, the new ODI, the Elite Pros or Elite Pro, Pros. Elites. Pro Elites. Elite Pro Elites. One of the up. two. Yep. Just look up yep. Elite and Pro with ODI and you'll find them. Amazing grips. Those things are awesome. Yep. Elite Pros. Yep. They are awesome. Yeah. They have
0: like a little rounded profile just to the center. So I guess this is an ergonomic it, grip. It,
1: it, but it's it's <laughs> but, so minute. It's like a millimeter yeah of extra yeah. right there but it goes right on you know the where your calluses would normally be on your yep. palms and it kind of fills in that hollow that you have
0: just below that yeah it's really helpful They're awesome. helpful setup um, so yeah you can check those out mm-hmm. um, hopefully that can help uh, Darren's question says, "I have a 2017 SB 5.5 Yeti with performance in series or with performance series suspension. That means that he doesn't have the high end one. He has the the,
1: has the lower two, end spec. Yeah, so he's got all the black stanchions, and he has. Um, it'll be a fit for with like a probably a grip damper in I 2017. So. Yep. It's yeah. not going to be." Um, They have performance, performance, elite, factory. Yes, exactly. So it's third from the top.
0: So he has performance series. He says, I feel it's lacking, referring to the suspension. Okay. I'm 85 kilograms and 182 centimeters. So he's pretty average size to, I mean, taller guy, but uh, taller side of average, but not
1: He's a little taller than me and a little heavier than me. Yep.
0: I'm near the end of a year's Enduro racing, and the black stanchion, the black on the stanchions has worn off.
1: Yikes. You need to take care of your suspension, sir.
0: He says, I'm thinking of either um, the MRP ribbon coil 160 or the new Fox 170 factory, possibly going for a Fox uh, X2 in the rear later. I've been advised to not use a coil on the rear. Is that true? Love the podcast. Listen while riding. Cheers, Daz from Newcastle, Australia. Daz, dude. Ozzy's uh, abbreviate everything, man. His name's Darren, but really, his name yeah. is Daz. So Pretty impressive.
1: <laughs> uh, okay, so uh, my favorite uh, Pitbull account that I follow on, uh, on Instagram, Instagram um, are the Blue Boys, and they're from Australia, <laughs> yeah. and they're Darren and Phillip, Yeah. and they have their own doggy clothing brand. They're is very Darren, cute dogs. Darren Daz? Darren is Dazzy.
0: There we are. Yeah. Oh, so, so it must be an Aussie go. thing.
1: Dazzy and Philly. So uh, let's address the fact that the, stan- the black on the stanchions is worn off. Okay, he has... Uh, d- that doesn't happen unless you have not taken care of your bike. An entire uh, season of enduro racing, that fork should have been pulled apart, serviced, and cleaned. You got dirt inside the actual dust wiper assembly, and it just sat there and worked like sandpaper to rub that DLC Oof. coating off. You, yeah, yeah. Rough. So that's, that's not the fork's fault. Yeah. I hate to say it. That's your yeah. fault. Sorry, Darren.
0: On the rear shock- Yes. Uh, well, and, and yeah, the, the fix for that is to service it regularly. Yeah. If you're looking at a new fork, the ribbon coil 160 or the new Fox 170 factory, I feel like throwing a 170 onto the 5.5 is probably excessive.
1: Well, it's excessive, but your brother also did it.
0: He did it. He liked it. Yeah. Um, that's, uh, that is true. Um, but. But in most cases, uh, like, and I guess that what I'm getting at is your fork probably works like total garbage right now. Yes, absolutely. So, you know, it. Perhaps just getting a new fork is what you need rather than upgrading the the travel. Yeah. You know what I mean? If you're looking for something. But it's certainly it's it's possible. My brother said it made the bike handle for him much better.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. What I would honestly do, Darren, is I would probably just go with like a 36 factory or performance elite with the grip two damper and just be done with it. Yeah. That's and leave it at 160. Don't go 170, leave it at 160. I think it'll be an amazing fork.
0: Yeah. I haven't ridden the ribbon coil. I have the ribbon air. Uh, f- I love it. Uh-huh. It is so good. Yeah. So, yeah, I could. Uh, that's a great fork. Yeah. But they're really also
1: constantly it. messing with their pressure. Yes. That's one thing that I've Higher found that I would get very upset about is. I can mess with damper settings all day long because it's literally just turning a knob. Having to carry a a shock pump everywhere I go and just making sure that it's, you know, dialed in perfectly. I don't like that. I don't want to do that.
0: Yeah, and and actually talking to them, I may actually have a defective fork because – and there may be something wrong with the damper because it's actually – because I do have to put air into that negative – chamber. So, um, so they said the negative air spring. So yeah, uh, to all, all fair to Noah Sears. He said that, yeah, you may have something up with your fork. Okay, So, um, so maybe that's why Mm -hmm. if you have an MRP ribbon air, let us know if you have to pump it up regularly. Okay. You can do that. Just go to mtbpodcast.com okay so his other question uh he's thinking of going to a fox float x2 i assume uh, okay. is what he's saying there uh and he said he's been advised to not use a coil on the rear No, no man no and, and,
1: and it's funny be great for some reason everybody has been saying don't put a coil on the rear i was so the yeti team tested dhx2s on five fives before the five five came out yeah and Somewhere along the line, they decided to go, there. you know, we're going to do Float X2s. Yep. And I don't know what the reasoning behind with, you know, all of those boys, why they didn't like the coil. Yeah. I'm sure sure it was logical. Yeah, I'm sure it was logical. I was the first one to really legitimately give it a shot and put it on that I've ever found. And... That DHX2 was freaking amazing. It transformed the bike for my brother, too. Yeah, he loved we, it. we put your brother on it. I've got multiple local people on a DHX2 on an SB55. Yep. I've got a bunch of listeners. There's like five or six now that have all gone to DHX2s with the SLS coil. Yeah. And they freaking love it. Like if everybody I, says it's amazing. If I don't get the 150 this year and I keep my 55,
0: I'm absolutely switching over to a coil shock in the rear. Yeah, and, and, here's- and that's for a light rider. Yeah, totally. Just because I feel like if you're outside the bell curve, it can be tricky to dial that one in, okay. that rear shock. Okay. Um, bell curve meaning like the standard rider that would fit, uh, you know, for the that Standard
1: 170-pound yeah. rider, whatever it is.
0: Yeah, and since I'm on the light side, it's tough for me to get a setting that works. Totally. But I could get
1: a coil with a spring that's tuned for my weight. Exactly. And you don't have to worry about spring curves because you don't have one. Um, and what I will say also... There's been two or three people. One very close friend of mine had a 5.5, five and he put a Float X2 on his, and after a couple months, he actually switched to the DHX2 and said it's a way better shock for that bike. There we go. So
0: So, Daz, don't worry about it. You can, you can throw a coil on there. Yeah. Uh, from Tim. He says, sorry, this isn't a question. I just found your podcast. It's great. Keep up the good work. I really like the detail and lengthy explanations and the rationale to your answers. I really like the recent episode regarding strength and mobility, and I will rate you on the Google Play Store. Keep up the great work. Thanks, man. Nice. Thank you, sir. Yeah. Appreciate that. Next one's from Raul. He says, hello, guys. Thanks in advance for answering my question. I have a 26-inch Santa Cruz Heckler that I bought used two years ago that's in pretty good shape. Mm-hmm. The guy I bought it from said he bought it new. And had only ridden it a handful of times in the two years that he had it. Take that as a grain of salt, he said, or take that with a grain of salt. He says, mm-hmm. yeah. My question is what brakes would you recommend slapping on this aged, like a fine wine steed of mine? Uh-huh. He says, should I get budget or he says budget, mid range and high range. Also any other upgrades you would recommend a new bike isn't in the family budget anytime soon. It currently has avid elixir one brakes on it right now that won't stop groaning a rock sector, 150 millimeter fork, a Fox X one shock. Saram X five cranks and X seven group set with a triple up front. He says, I usually ride the local trails here in Southern San Joaquin Valley in California, but did just recently do my first bike park ride up at China peak. And I'm looking forward to doing more of that next season. It was epic for me since I'm a husband and father of three, which makes it hard to do consistent riding. He says dope podcast. Been listening since the beginning, five stars all day, every day. Awesome. Okay. So, uh, upgrading, a, a heckler. 26-inch uh, Heckler and brakes, I guess, is the first thing. And he, he's talking budget, mid-range, and high-range.
1: Knowing your budget, I would honestly I would not tell you to go high-range at all on this, totally. at all. You don't Put, need to. Honestly, Shimano SLX brakes. Yeah. They're so cheap and so good and so consistent and they always work. Yep. So, I would get SLX brakes Mm -hmm. and I would get all new rotors for your bike Mm -hmm. and I would have that set up and I would not look back. I'm not going to give you a a low range, mid range, high range, because that's honestly just a phenomenal brake to go with. If you can get a scream and deal on a set of XTs, great. You're paying for a little bit more lever adjustment, but that's it. Yeah. So honestly, great brakes. Get those. Be done with it.
0: Go with the SLXs. You'll love it. If you're going to upgrade other things on there, he says, uh, you know, what... um, what other upgrades you might consider. So he has a 150 millimeter forks, uh, rock shock sector. He won't be able to put a, well, I guess he could put a boost fork, but then you're going to end up changing wheels and you'd have to get a boost front wheel, but not a boost rear wheel. It then would you're total it's mess. just, a, yeah, just let it so, be right now. Yep. Um, I would not upgrade the, f- the fork or shock on this bike because it's just going to be too difficult to be able to find one. I'd put good tires on it. Yep. Good grippy tires. Maybe. Yeah. Um, he says, SRAM X five cranks and x seven gearing group set. The only thing that I might recommend is. Is consider looking at uh, upgrading the drivetrain uh, if you need to. Um, you can find three by like three by stuff like that mm-hmm. so cheap, yeah, these days. So you might be able to just if you throw on a new chain rings, new chain cassette, new but shifter it, cables, yeah, and then you throw on those brakes and tires, your bike will feel like a brand new bike, yeah. You'll, absolutely, the suspension side get it serviced if you can, yeah. And genuinely, you're going to have like a brand new
1: bike, yeah. So absolutely, yeah. You know, there's a reason they still make that bike. True story. Yeah. I mean, it's just a good all-around bike to have, so.
0: Yep. Uh, next one is from Josh. He says, uh, hey, guys, your neck and neck is the world's greatest podcast with the Train and Road podcast.
1: Huh. Those guys are jerks, I hear. I'm hedging my bets. Yeah. Yeah, with well, that one. I <laughs> say they're jerks only because I want to die pretty much after every workout that I do. <laughs> I did Jepsen last night. It was Ugh. pretty hard, on. Oh, it huh? was brutal. Yeah. Those yeah. four by eight with the little sprints in the middle. Yeah. Yeah. It's it,
0: tricky. It's hurdy. It is very hurdy. Yeah. Um, thank you to train road. We're recording in their studio right we now. Are. Very kind. Um, he says it's quite a competition between you two. Like Jonathan, I consider myself a lycra wearing XC nerd, and nerd. This, eh, nerd nerd alert. <laughs> uh, he says, and this question is probably in line with that nerdiness. What is the best position for your computer mount stem mounted or out in front of the stem? I love this question. 'Cause I'm actually very opinionated on this. And one. I am too. <laughs> oh good, cool. Yeah. He says, I'd like to hear what you guys prefer and the pros and cons of each. Uh, he says, on my road and XC bike, or in cyclocross bike, forgive me, I have the K Edge out front mount for my Garmin, but I'm still trying to decide what's best for my mountain bike. I see Nino and Howard Grotz go with a stem mount. That's like the the one that just wraps around your stem. You yeah. can use O rings. Or
1: you can do the, the K Edge stem cap assembly.
0: Yes. I'll get to that one in a bit. Um, he says, but Blevins and Kalavi go out front. Mm-hmm. What do those guys know? Um, or he says, but what do those guys know? I want to hear what the mountain bike authorities have to say. <laughs> Yes. I like that. It says, thanks for the great tech show and entertainment. Okay. Uh, first, no, you, You're, you,
1: <laughs> you go first. All right.
0: Uh, I have, I, I want out front on my road and cyclocross bikes road. Yes. Um, yeah, you bring up a good point. No, cyclo Uh, or I should say if I'm gravel riding and a road, I want it out front.
1: Perfect. Yes, absolutely.
0: If I'm cyclocross, or I'm mountain biking. I am going to cheat and say I don't want to mount anywhere. I just want to use a watch. Exactly. But I know that that's not what we're really talking about yeah. here. So uh, if you're talking, if you have to put one there, then I like this is crazy. I've tried it and gone back and forth. I like O rings wrapped around the friggin' stem. Just the silly, just the Garmin. Cheap little Garmin yep. O rings. Yeah, no, and, that's and here's why. I don't like the the my least favorite one is the is the K edge stem cap mount. Okay. It sits really high. It sits at high. Yeah. And then it gives it a very unflexible mounting position. So basically like uh it's not like the so if you have an out front mount. Mm-hmm. I don't recommend tightening it so much that if you hit it with your hand, it doesn't move. Yeah. Like I recommend tightening it to the point where you can hit it with your hand and it will move a bit. Well, yeah. Cause if you crash. Yes, then exactly. Yeah. So, and, and I see a lot of people tighten the, you know, you put it on the K edge on the stem cap mount on the mm-hmm. top. It, doesn't work. It can't move. It can't move. Yeah. So basically when you're, when you crash that Garmin's probably going to be the first thing to hit and it is going to explode. Yeah. And then you've just broken a really expensive computer. Done
1: that. A few so, times,
0: yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> Haven't we all? Yeah. So that's why I like the O-ring mount because it allows it to move. Um, this is very true. It's functional in that respect. Yeah. Now the K edge out front mount is my favorite out front mount mm-hmm. by far. Yeah. It's the best one that mm-hmm. I've used unless you have something like a specialized on the Venge that stem has its own mount, but it's still an out front mount. Yep. If you have an N, Envy, uh, stem, you can get really cool mount that, that actually acts as a faceplate. Yeah. It's really nice. Yeah. Um, if you are going to put it out front, make it so that it is in line in height from the side with the top of the stem, the top of the screen. Yeah. Don't make it sit higher because it's just going to put it in more danger. Yeah. Uh, and it's
1: aerodynamically deficient. Which, of Because road is, yes, people, we have to worry about those. This is they, true. They, they have to worry about those. Those, those people. Those people. <laughs> yes, I said those people. <laughs> so what about you? I, 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 do you differ? Uh, road and gravel, I like the out front. Yeah. I like um, it for mapping. And then,
0: you know, on road power and stuff. But for gravel, I like it for mapping.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah totally. Um, and then on the mountain bike, I would say O-rings on the stem if I had to. Um, but I'm just... I guess I'm just better than everybody. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And I just don't, I just run a watch all yeah, the time. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I just, I don't care. I don't, if I really need to like look and see, oh, I'm putting out 317 Watts right now and blah, blah, blah. And this yeah, yeah. is my heart rate. Then, then I'll just look at my watch. It's not that big of a deal. Yeah. But let's be honest. I'm a mountain biker first. Yep. Yeah. Then a gravel and cyclocross guy. And I rode when I have to do like hang out with certain friends. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's all I do. Yeah. Um, so I don't, I don't really need an out front mount. I don't need it on the bike. In fact, you know, I've broken so many garments over the years that I just don't want it there. I want it on my hand.
0: Yeah. I don't know why XC pros that race XCO, maybe it's different if you are doing marathon stuff. Cause it's really helpful to have things like insight right there. Of course. But XEO, why the heck do you have a head unit, man? Like put it on your, put it, get a watch, put it in your,
1: put in your bib or do that. Hide it.
0: Yeah, start the thing before you go, and then just, you know, you can make it lap afterward. You can sign up for Trainer road, and then you can create your custom laps. It works great. So, um, But, yeah, no, watches, man. They're they're really good. Yeah, Uh, I do have – I have a head unit that actually stays permanently on my road bike, uh, the Venge. It just sits there. And I have on my other road bike – man, I'm a spoiled brat. On my other road bike, I don't have a Garmin on there intentionally. I just use my watch because I want that bike to be, like, the raw –
1: Classic Porsche 911 experience. By the way, can we talk about that really quick? (laughs) How your Venge is barely better looking than your CAD 12. (laughs) (laughs) I know, right? Your ridiculously expensive S-Works Venge is a beautiful bike. It's it's stunning. And it's a a narrow bike that looks good. But your CAD 12 with just upgraded Force 22. Wait, no, you're ready. Oh, Red 22. Sorry. Red 22 mechanical is freaking beautiful. I know. Such a good-looking bike.
0: It's like uh it, it's it's like having a Lamborghini or a McLaren. Mm-hmm. Like uh for the 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 race car and then having a classic Porsche 911. I'm very very lucky. Yeah. I'm very grateful. Yeah. It's anyway. Really sweet bike. Yeah, I'll have pictures about that one on my Instagram. Lee Jonathan underscore on mm-hmm. Instagram.
1: You'll see pictures soon of the Cad 12 because we just got the wheels to build up. We did. Um. Well, no, we don't have to build them up. We have to take the stainless spokes off and put yeah. black spokes on because black must be there. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um. Fred
0: says, talk about the tax war with China and the consequences for us and the world. Uh, We aren't qualified to speak about that.
1: I mean, we're not qualified to talk. I mean, I'm not a CPA, so. Exactly. But I do know that MSRP on Cannondale bikes, the day that that went into effect, MSRP went up like 8% on everything immediately. Yeah.
0: Um, It's it's this simple. It's going to get more expensive. There's nothing you can do about it besides working harder to elect officials into place that you hope um, can make good decisions in that regard. But you never know, because once they get elected, yeah, you've, if you've seen House of Cards, you know what's up. So, okay. uh, politicians are sneaky folks. Um, yeah, I've seen Scandal. Yeah, there we are. Yeah, yeah. So it's yeah. Honestly, things are going to get more expensive, mm-hmm. and that's not what we need. It isn't. No, especially. I, I, I don't. I don't really. I don't want to get too political on this, but I'm just. I'm really not excited about it. Yeah, but it's honestly the least of my words, Least of my concerns in terms of like you know political implications right now. Absolutely. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway. No politics. Yeah. Bummer stuff. Carry I get, on. I get sad as soon as that comes up. I politics. Know. It's a bummer. Uh, Eric says, is the Yeti SB 150 too much bike for Auburn, California, and Downeyville? I'm a little bit of a heavy rider. I like to party. Thanks for the podcast.
1: Yeah, it's probably too much. For Auburn, I would say so. Yeah. Downeyville, I mean, it's a little too much. I mean, you, a 130 would be perfect for Downeyville, I think. Yeah. But, I yeah. yeah, you're not going to... The thing is, you're going to be on a bike, so I think you're going to have a good day no matter what. Yeah, but yeah. for Auburn, yes, I mean, you probably don't need it, but it's not going to feel un, It's not going to feel as unruly
0: as you think. No, uh, because of the inherent characteristics of how Yetis handle. Yeah, they're a bit more solid underfoot, mm-hmm. not as spongy or soft or yeah. something. Um, so yeah, um, yes, I would say so. Um, okay, another Yeti question from Roger Vannalist. I think I just got Bart Simpsoned. Maybe I said something and I don't understand what it is. <laughs> Maybe continue. He says, "He says, hi guys, great podcast and awesome content. Just wondering when you might do a review of the Yeti SB 130. Cheers from down under. I tried to ride one when I went to Yeti HQ to interview with, uh, with stretch. stretch. Yeah. Wasn't a single one there to ride. Well, of course they're completely out. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we will eventually,
1: find. uh, your dealers are probably, will probably have them though. Robot Cyclery probably has some really good information and reviews on the SB 130. Head over to there. They got it. They know what's up.
0: Okay. Tom. Yep. Uh, Matt Douglas says, love the podcast. Five stars. I know Jonathan has been riding the MRP ribbon fork for a little while now and just wanted his opinion on it. Just sort of the new evil offering frame and can't decide between the MRP ribbon and rock shocks pike. I really like the ribbon. Uh, I find in terms of that compared to the Pike, you'll find a very similar, uh, like a, or you have 35 millimeter stanchion, so you'll find like a similar spec sheet in some regards, but it's a very different feeling fork. I would mm-hmm. say that the ribbon feels more like a Fox 36 than it does a RockShox fork. Okay. And the sense that it has just buttery initial plushness that you can dial in, you can change it, yeah. but it has buttery initial plushness. Like okay. extremely smooth.
1: That's been one of my favorite things about that fork. Well, that's going to be more like a pike or a lyric. Well,
0: yeah, but in rock shocks, Rockshox. If you take the same travel across the board, I found consistently Rockshox versus Fox. Rockshox has an inherently stiffer initial feel than a than a Fox. You can tune oh. it out. Uh, True. Okay. But yeah. like Foxes just have this like fo- the Fox thirty six with the grip. F- Two. Two damper. Mm-hmm. Dear me, the thing is just so good. Mm-hmm. Right? Like the initial plushness, you feel like the front tire never leaves the ground. Yeah. Um, it's really good. But then you also feel pretty stable and you get that with the MRP and you can dial that in. Okay. Um, the the other cool thing about that is I actually ended up using this at the North Star Enduro pretty regularly, how it has the ramp control in there. Mm-hmm. I was actually changing the ramp control based on the different trails you wrote because one trail would be coaster, which yeah. is a trail that is not technical at all yeah. and a lot of pedaling. Mm-hmm. So I actually made that fork much less progressive in that respect. So, okay. because it gave it a little bit more stable platform. Yeah. Um, then, uh, when I rode sections that were gnarlier, like sticks and stones and dog bone and all that stuff, it was much more progressive. So then I could have initial plushness to just keep the control, but then have a lot of bottom out resistance. Yeah. So like, it's really cool to be able to just flip that and, you know, and you have a bunch of adjustment with yeah. it. Yeah. So I just remembered the settings and did that. Like we just talked about, though, the only downside of the fork so far uh, was the fact that, um, man, uh, I've had to bring that shock pump with me on some rides to be able to air up the positive and negative chambers independently and do all that. But uh, one thing on that, too, that's brought to light something that I think a lot of people don't understand. You can't just pump up if you don't have an MRP fork. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have like a Fox or Rock Shocks with self balancing positive and negative chambers. Yeah. You can't just throw air into your fork and then ride and expect it to be okay.
1: No, you have to actually set it so that it balances out. Like yes. you have to run it through the suspension.
0: Yeah. In fact, multiple uh, times, one thing that I do, so I'll like cycle it for a while. And then after that, I put my weight on it and compress it and keep it compressed and Just hold it there and yeah. hold it there. Yep. And I keep the shock pump on. Yeah. And then I let it go and then you'll look at your shock pump and, and it went down three
1: or four PSI.
0: Exactly. Yeah. So then you have to pump it back up to that and then do the same thing. I recommend doing that if you really want to get
1: reliable suspension yeah. performance with me, like when I do that, cause I actually just did some changes in the, in my Fox 36 grip too. and we'll get into that in a bit Mm -hmm. um i actually went through and i go 25 psi and then i do the full equalization process 25 psi full equalization process and then my pressure right now is about 68 psi in my grip 2 36 160 fork with the stuffs inside um and so that was um so that that's how i go through you're only supposed to do every 25 psi the rear you should actually do 50 psi Equalize everything, 50 PSI, equalize everything, so on and so forth. So that's something you really need to do. Because you can actually blow out the the valving um between the positive and negative negative chamber if you go 150 psi and then just sit on the rear. Bam. Yeah. Yeah. It'll actually you can actually mess things up in the shock and the fork.
0: Yep. Uh okay. Next is from Michael. Michael Bebs. Bebs. Bebs? Bebs. Almost sounds like Bebs. 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 Yeah.
1: Beep. He's not the beeps.
0: Not the beeps. Okay, he says, Hi, guys. In one episode, Stephen mentioned a substance, a paste, I think it was, that he uses when fitting press-fit bottom brackets to stop them from squeaking. I was driving at the time of listening, so couldn't make a note or write it down. I now can't find the right podcast or where he mentioned it. Could you let me know what the stuff is called again, please? Also, I'm in the UK. Do you know if it's available over here? And if so, if it's got the same name or what it's called here?
1: I don't know if it's in the UK available, but it is called Rector Seal True Blue. And it is a PTFE infused pipe dope. Um, I'm looking right now to see if you can get it in the UK. Um, and it looks like, oh, yeah, it uh, looks like it is on Amazon.co.uk. It's under a brand called Easy Flow Rector Seal True uh, Blue Pipe Dope. Mm, and that's, it is that's the letter E, the letter Z, and then F L O. Yeah. And uh, it's their part number 86289, but it's on amazon.co.uk. So it looks like um, actually it says it's currently unavailable there, but um, <laughs> you can find it I'm You sure. can find it in the UK. It's a very popular for when you have ductile iron um, pipes in your house and stuff for gas and ductile things iron. like that, it's actually um, a pretty common substance to use.
0: I feel like dudes that know what ductile iron is, dudes and gals that know what ductile iron is are like, you know, they're pretty serious. People who can weld on ductile iron are pretty serious. <laughs> too. Yeah. Some
1: thin metal. Yeah. Um, maybe Neil. Maybe our friend Neil Actually, could be. Yeah. Actually, no, I may be wrong, but I highly doubt Neil knows how to weld on that. Yeah, maybe wrong. Yeah, I, cast I, iron, ductile iron, It's they're, they're, they're two very, very specific welding techniques that not a lot of people know. Indeed. Yeah. Okay. Uh, this next one is from Patrick. says, I'm really
0: into both mountain biking and road cycling around my home in the Blue Ridge Mountains. I'm interested in getting a cyclo-computer, or it's a bike computer, yeah. with maps. Is there a computer that y'all think would be best for road and MTB use? I would like the ability to load MTB trails to the computer so I'm not pulling out a map at every turn. Yes. The new Garmin Edge 820 Explorer, I think mm-hmm. it's called. Yeah. And then what that one will allow you to do is you can actually get uh, Trailforks maps on there. Mm-hmm. And the Edge 820 Explorer just basically gives you um, – it gives you like the – it's a more maps focused interface, less about like performance cycling. Yes. And, um, <clears throat> it gives you better navigation. I yeah. believe there's it, certain subtle tweaks to it. Yeah. It I think uses, maybe more memory to be able to store maps. I'm okay. not sure.
1: And it uses more of like their, uh, the Garmin Trek, um, stuff like for the, the it geo people, it uses a lot of their interface. <laughs> geo stuff. people. Yeah. You know, <laughs> people that like geo, like they have to do the geo, geo tracking caching. and stuff like that, yeah, yeah. geocaching and things yeah. like that. And hunters and Ge- geo people. It's just geo funny. people. <laughs> yeah. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so that's
0: the one that I would recommend. Um, i also recommend your smartphone i know that sounds silly smartphone and a battery pack uh because then you can use trail forks and it works really well but obviously you don't you have, have your bar mounted and yeah and yeah well the cool thing about trail forks is you can download the map oh that's right yeah yeah. Yeah, yeah what am i thinking which is really helpful but um yeah and then to look at getting uh maps onto there, trail forks i believe has a tutorial and you can check it out uh okay this one is from larith stanimal larry the stanimal He's combining letters. It's from a Stanimal himself. He says, guys, great podcast. Quick question. My bike has a RockShox revelation RC one thirty millimeter fork and comes with a 15 millimeter Maxle through axle, which has grooves that the handle bites into uh-huh. to fix or remove the wheel. Yes. But that metal that the grooves are made of is too soft and it bends easily. Yep. Yes, it, it does. does. RockShox manual for the fork says it is a 15 by 100, but my measurement of the length shows around 155. Yes. What am I missing here in measuring of the length and what alternative through axle would you recommend?
1: They have a bunch of the different maxels. They have the maxel, the maxel ultimate, and the maxel stealth. The stealth is the bolt-on one that uses a six-millimeter Allen. The Max Ultimate is the is basically a lighter version that has a quick-release lever on it, but it, you don't have to deal with that that soft <laughs> pop metal almost that is the little
0: cam yeah. thing. Yeah.
1: So the the width being one hundred and fifty-five millimeters is the f- overall length of it. Your axle spacing, yeah. meaning hub flange to hub flange, is one hundred millimeters. So. For your axle to be able to work in a 100-mil axle, it has to be longer than that axle. So your 155-mil is just the measurement you're going to use to order your new RockShox Maxle, whether you get the Stealth or the Ultimate. Um, Go to Worldwide Cyclery or give them a call, and they will tell you exactly which one you need, and they'll get you taken care of. And yes, I agree with you. That front axle sucks. Uh,
0: pro tip on that one. I had mine bend. It gets like dog-eared corners on that. Yeah. And I actually took a Dremel and I actually ended up cutting just a straight line. You made a wider flange. And I made a wider flange. It's still functional. Yep. Um, and it ended up helping.
1: Yeah. But yeah, you should totally get rid of it and do. I agree. I would do the bolt on, but I also like bolt on axles and I don't care about, you know, quick release. So. Yep. Yeah.
0: Uh, okay. Uh, let's go into the next one is from Hunter. He says, I'm sitting in traffic and I got to wondering I'm on a 2018 Trek fuel EX 9.8. I love the bike, but I really wish the Fox 34 performance and DPS performance shock had more of a supportive feel to it when climbing and descending. I'm playing around with the volume reducers, but to get them as supportive as I like the bottom out resistance is just too much. I'm 220 pounds and do pretty general trail and enduro riding. Any
1: suggestions? I have lots of suggestions, sir. So this makes sense, just
0: uh, so people know, like with a heavier rider, it's tough to find the 220. You know, you're outside of that bell curve. Yeah. Uh, so it's tough to find basically like a tuning setup where you get the supportive feel that you need, but it's not too harsh Yeah. Uh, when you get into hard hits or anything like that. Or I should say uh, the bottom out resistance is sufficient, but not too much. Yeah. Um, so what would you, let's start with a fork, a Fox 34 performance fork. What would you do to make it more supportive?
1: So your, your performance fork would, with- with the the grip damper, that's their that's the basish mm-hmm. model. Yep. Here's the problem with that. In that unit, you're not going to have a ton of options. I would recommend going to a performance elite fit four, and then putting a, Luft, a the kappa from its sorry let me start over okay Vorsprung suspension out of Canada and it's pronounced Luftkop, not Luftkopp I don't oh. know why I keep doing Luftkop. that it's the Luftkop. Uh, because I always say it wrong sorry yeah. <laughs> so on the top of the air shaft assembly you basically replace it and this changes so much about the 34 Evol and 36 Evol forks this is actually what I just put in the 36 grip too
0: we're, we're, we're exposing right now this is, this is your tip
1: this is my tip so okay, cool. uh, we're tips yeah. and questions yes yeah um, so you throw that guy in there and it creates so much more initial suppleness without destroying your mid-stroke support and ramp out at the end. Mm-hmm. You being a heavier rider, you need that mid-stroke support and the ramp out. But to get everything correct so that you have all that, you have some initial harshness mm-hmm. and the bike is you know doesn't handle chatter and chunder very well. So that is a quick way to fix that issue. Got it. The next issue is your 9.8 doesn't come with – In 2018, it did not come with a through-shaft rear shock. For Uh 2019, it does. Mm. Through-shaft changes that rear suspension a lot, Mm -hmm. but you can't commercially buy the through-shaft rear shocks. Those are only available on OEM, you know, on the Trek Fuel. It's the 9.9s and now the 9.8s. They're doing them as well. shop
0: order it for you?
1: No. Oh, wow. You cannot order it as an aftermarket part at all. Wow. So what I recommend... You have a, it's a 210 by 52 and millimeter rear shock. Write that down. <clears throat> what I would recommend you do is a surprising. I, I'm going to say this again. Worldwide Cyclery actually has literally the Trek Fuel EX specific DPX2, which is the piggyback rear shock. Nice. That will solve all of your problems because the DPX2 for heavier riders is going to reintroduce a lot more small bump compliance. You have more oil volume to handle the heat of being a heavier rider and cycling that suspension a lot more, and you have all the benefits of the DPS inline rear shock. So, so that's a happy human. So that's the workaround. Um, I think they actually list it right on their website as the the Trek specific one, but also you can just call them. Cool. So, so go to our website, our store link through to World Wide Cyclery, and then you can order that shock right there. There you go, Hunter. And it it comes with all the hardware and everything you need. Awesome. So it's a ten minute swap. This next one is from Tater Tots Jackson. I'm just
0: reading how he writes it. So tater again, that's twice in one double tater. He says, guys, the podcast is amazing. Five stars review already submitted. Nice. I've worked mom or worked my way up through episode 40 and now listening to, to nothing but this podcast for years. I've struggled mightily with busting out my lungs on climbs. I can find myself frequently having to stop on climbs that most others seem to nail without hesitation. After much thought and trial and error, I've concluded that at least a large part of my problem has to do with psyching myself out even before hitting a, a climb, a self-fulfilling prophecy, if you will. Uh My question is what mental exercises or training do you apply for such situations? Thanks and keep sending it. Yeah. I see this a lot with people. Um, they actually have the fitness to get through something, but they, they mentally defeat themselves before they even get to it. Uh I know this sounds like silly, like a Tony Robbins walk on the hot coals sort of stuff here, but, um, which (laughs) I still laugh that people actually did that and he got in trouble for it. Weirdos. yeah, it's really funny. (laughs) Um, but anyways, uh, so essentially that there's a whole theory out there called the central governor model that, uh, basically there's a theory that your mind ends up depicting much of what your body's, uh, performance, uh, fulfillment of its performance potential will be. Yeah. And basically that, uh, you, you can create an environment where a psychological environment in which your body can explore all of its potential, or you can create one where it's limited. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, and, and, and it makes sense. um, there's the, the, there's a whole lot of, of theory and practice behind this but the, the the simple way to fix this sort of thing is to get in reps of doing it properly and mm-hmm. i know that sounds you know like duh uh, but that's that's what it is yeah uh, that's why interval training interval training interval training is so good yeah because so it, it's the best way to get bring about fitness in a short amount of time but also it isn't just like a shortcut it's the best way to bring about fitness because Um, so I'm going to step back a bit here, but basically when you're training and as a coach, uh, what I look for when I, you know, you're trying to train somebody is you look for, okay, I need certain things to change about this person's body. Yes. I know that in order for those things to change, this person needs to work at a certain level of intensity Mm -hmm. and for something else to change in their body, they need to work at a different intensity. Yes. It's pretty simple, but if you think about it, it's kind of like a, you know, like a I mean, yeah, I think you all get that. That makes sense. So when you're talking about training a person with interval training, sure, you could say a lot of great things happen when a person is riding at their peak aerobic uptake, which is VO2 max, but it's very hard. Yeah. So you can't do that forever. So a great thing about interval training is that you can spend three minutes there, then rest for three minutes, spend three minutes again. You've done six minutes there. Whereas otherwise you probably can't just ride there at six minutes, right? Yeah. So like, that's the cool part about interval training. But psychologically speaking, it's very good because what you do is you dose your body with something for a duration that will stretch your limits for now, Mm -hmm. but it's okay. You can get through it. You might not feel like you can get through it, but you will, and you'll take confidence in that. And then fast forward three weeks, and then you're at a point where you're actually going at that same intensity for a longer duration. Yes. And it starts to build up and you start to get to this point where... Whereas it was really intimidating to face down a hard effort like that, whether it was because it was a steep climb or an interval. Mm -hmm. Now you have faced that so many times that it's not scary anymore. Mm -hmm. And you find yourself kind of taking courage in the fact that, hey, I can do this. So that's why interval training is super helpful for everybody. Uh, Even if it's not progressing at the proper rate and everything else, which that's how you really get the true benefit of it. You're still going to be getting a psychological benefit of getting yourself familiar with going hard. And getting into that uncomfortable place and being comfortable while being uncomfortable,
1: and that's you know that's the beauty of it is you know the human body can do a lot more than the human mind thinks it can do. Yeah, and that's your limiting factor. And and I think Trainer Road does a really good job, especially now that nice I'm in plug. I know seriously, like that's
0: <laughs> and it's I can't plug it. You can. We
1: were just we were just talking about um, how I just did Jepsen, and that's one of the things that you know that's a four by eight minute interval at VO2 max. Or yeah, it's just above threshold, or just yeah. below threshold. Yeah, Sorry. just below threshold yeah. with some spikes. With there. some spikes of like you know, and I was doing spikes of almost 700 watts because it says if you can do them and keep your you know yeah, rpm yeah. your cadence where they want it, then great. Um, and so those just below threshold points got harder and harder and harder as I would go through the four mm-hmm. four by eight minute. You know, basically, yeah. um, so these little chunks of two minutes between those sprints. The third one and the fourth one would end up getting really hard on the so. third big eight-minute chunk. And then the fourth eight-minute chunk, I barely made it through. Yeah. I thought about giving up a couple times. And if I was on a climb two years ago, I would have stopped and rested. Yeah, This doesn't allow you to do that, and it forces you to kind of overcome that psychological I can't do this. And I made it through it, and I was fine. And you, this year, you were a totally different rider. Yeah. Whenever we went riding on anything,
0: like, you were never needing to take breaks. Yeah. And we were going up some pretty gnarly stuff this yeah.
1: year. And, I mean, even in Squamish, like, I was off the interval training, and I wasn't doing train of road all summer long. Yeah. And when we got done with it, I was like, wait a second, we just did 4,100 feet of climbing and 19 miles? Like yeah. <laughs> That's steeper than and yeah. shorter than, you know, and a lot of riding that I've done. Granted, there was, you know, at the very end of the last climb, I was pretty yeah. done. But, yeah, yeah. But still. Yeah. It, it proves to your body that you can do things your mind thinks it can't. Exactly. So, yeah. yeah. So being comfortable with being uncomfortable is the key to that. And you can push yourself and keep going. So yeah. just uh, on these climbs where you do take your breaks. Go a little bit further before you take a break next time, and then a little bit further, and then so on and so forth, and you'll just get longer and longer and longer, and by being comfortable with the uncomfortable, it gets easier and easier. Yeah. Very true. That's it.
0: Uh, Josh, this is gonna be the last one. He says now that MTV Nats are mostly announced, still waiting on a marathon location. What advice is there for cross country guys living at 860 feet? I've only been racing for three years and have just focused on moving up to cat one in our local series as fast as I could. I don't plan on being super competitive at Nats for a couple of years, but would like to experience it. I'm honestly thinking about skipping winter park because of the insane elevation, and just doing some other events. Thanks for the tips. Love the podcast. I just rode there, um, because, the the rumor was that it was going to be there and sure enough, it is, mm-hmm. uh, it's very high. Yeah. Um, like I think it's just below 9,000 feet <clears throat> is the base elevation. And then you just go up from there and I climbed up to like 12,500. Okay. Um, I'm almost certain, like I would be very comfortable saying the course will not go that high. I think the course will be probably, you know, it won't climb a whole lot because you're going to be doing shorter laps. Yeah um in terms of elevation that climbing will add up over the race but uh-huh. you're not going to go really high up uh in terms of what you can do so like uh, a kind of a misconception so when you train and become acclimatized at elevation your plasma volume increases in your blood uh-huh. uh thusly is able to carry more oxygen <clears throat> um so that's usually a benefit because you're just getting basically like a denser concentration of oxygen into your fuel. And then hopefully your body can actually, you know, utilize that and uh-huh. use it, all that stuff. Um, because the, I guess the misunderstanding with elevation is people think that it's um, there's less oxygen up high. And that's not true. It's the same amount of oxygen. It's just there's less pressure uh-huh. up there. So when you're breathing air in. Uh, you're actually getting in less amount of oxygen for the amount of air you're taking in. Yeah. But it's not that there's any less oxygen up there. Um, it's just that when you're breathing it in, you can't bring in as much. But remember this, like when you breathe in oxygen, it's not like, let's say that you take in 500 oxygen molecules. Just It's an arbitrary number. Mm-hmm. You take that into your lungs when you breathe. Your body will not use all 500
1: it actually uses a very, very small percentage <laughs> yes. of the oxygen. Exactly right. It's more the surface about, area of your lungs. Exactly.
0: And, yeah. It's more about surface area of your lungs and yeah. what it can take in. So when you're talking about that surface area, when you have less pressure, and then so basically you have less oxygen molecules distributed over a certain part or, mm-hmm. of that surface area of your lungs, yeah. there's less to take in. But remember that your body doesn't utilize everything. When you're talking about oxygen, the really important thing is its uptake level. And uptake and I guess I, I'm going to change it to say utilization. Yes. Who cares how much oxygen you can take in if your body can't utilize it effectively It doesn't for matter.
1: Exactly yeah. right. That's why, that's part of the reason why people from high elevations don't see astronomical improvements when they go down an elevation. They yeah. do feel better. Right. But it's not as big as someone going from low elevation to high elevation, that deficit they feel is bigger. Yes, exactly yeah. right. So, um, so the, the,
0: the, what I'm getting to with this is that you can increase your plasma volume a number of ways and, uh, there are, EPOs. There are legal ways. And then there are legal <laughs> ways, uh, the, the one, and one way you can do that is with heat training. However, um, there are no studies that have proven that increased plasma volume from heat training results in improved performance at elevation. Yes. It's an extrapolation. Okay. Basically what people are saying is that, Oh, interesting two similar adaptations that happen in the human body in two different environments. So maybe training in heat can bring about the same performance benefits that you would get from being acclimatized to elevation. But that doesn't actually... We, we don't have that guarantee yet. We don't know. Of course.
1: Um, but That's like saying A plus B equals C, therefore B plus C equals D, therefore A and D are equal. It doesn't... Yeah, yeah, it's not... Yeah. It,
0: yeah, so we don't know. It may very well be the case, but yeah. the, the data is not really shown that quite yet. Absolutely. So, um, that's one thing you can do. Um, but other than that, the biggest thing, and I don't care how acclimatized you are, even the guy that lives there at winter park lives higher than winter park. Mm -hmm. The biggest thing at elevation is you have to keep in mind that when you go over threshold and you get into a situation where oxygen utilization by your body is key Mm -hmm. and you are running low on that availability and your body isn't able to do that, it's going to be harder to recover. Think about this. When you're working up through the intensity ladder, so to speak, uh-huh. you start out very easily. Yeah. You know, you're using, uh, you're always using a, a cocktail of fuel for uh-huh. your body. Yes. You might be using glycogen. You might be using fat. You might be using oxygen. You might be using something called creatine phosphate stores, which are really fast, really explosive. It goes away. You might even be using lactate or bodies are friggin' amazing. Like mm-hmm. it's basically if you had a hose going off of your exhaust pipe on your car back into your gas tank, that's basically what your body can do. It yeah. uses lactate, a byproduct yeah. of, of work to then be able to actually refuel itself. And lactate's yeah. like jet fuel. Yeah. It's good stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, just when you get too much of it, that's when it gets bad. So yeah. Anyways, uh, your body's using a cocktail of things and as it goes higher, it gets to a point <clears throat> where it becomes, um, anaerobic, where it starts to rely on anaerobic stores, creatine phosphate and plenty of other things, uh, because it's, it's not, it can't be aerobically driven anymore. It needs faster burning fuel. Okay. So it gets to that point, but your anaerobic stores, it's like, think of having two separate little gas tanks. Those get drained really quickly. Yeah. So then what you're left with is aerobic stores. Uh So you try to perform an anaerobic effort and that's when things get really hard and Uh hurdy. But the interesting thing is, so what will happen is your intensity will drop as you need to recover from that, Uh whether you stop pedaling or whether you just pedal at an easier intensity. Yes. During that time, once those anaerobic stores have exhausted, you are doing an aerobic effort. Thereafter. Yeah. yeah. And you may even put out power levels that are anaerobic in nature thereafter, after you recover for a bit. Okay. But it may actually come from a decent amount of that. You might still be trying to rely on aerobic stores. So they're going to be shorter lived. That's why you might be able to go for 400 watts at one minute. And, but then as you repeat that, you know, taking one minute off, 30
1: seconds and then uh, 20 seconds. And, and part of that also has to do with the limitation of those, that, that faster burning fuel is the buildup of its byproducts. And then you need the oxygen afterwards to help recover and get rid of those byproducts. Exactly right. Okay.
0: So think of all of that now and keep in mind the fact that after you go hard, you really need a lot of oxygen because you're trying to perform and all you have is really, you know, your oxygen that you're building. Yeah. Now, keep in mind the fact that you're at 9,000 feet. Yes. So what this means is that your pacing has to change. Yes. You have to be a much more conservative rider. And what you have to do as you go through this is you have to think, okay, I need to slow down. And I need to make sure I dose myself. And when I go over threshold, it's going to be at the right time. And it's going to be in a moment where I know I can recover thereafter. Yes. So that's the biggest thing is you have to have more conservative pacing. You'll see people that uh, go out and they go out really hard and they might feel really good. It's not going to last long when you're at elevation. Yeah. That's a very, very brief, high level, uh, right, basic level overview of, of
1: the Krebs cycle. And I finally seconds. understand some of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's basic stuff. I like the crab cycle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Krabby patties. Exactly. Yes. right. Yeah. <laughs> Tasty. Um,
0: okay. Uh, let's close it out with our tips. Yes. You don't care. They'd counting on your tips to live.
1: <laughs> All right. So you had the Vorisprung Luftkoppa, anything, or Luftkop. Anything else that you, you want to add to that? Um, no. And so I've only done parking lot testing. I'm going to Downeyville tomorrow with some other friends, so I'll dial it in there. But initially, um, I have to say, holy crap. <laughs> um, so my biggest problem with the, with the Fox, the, the 2019 36 Evol Grip 2 is that I had my high-speed compression on and high-speed rebound on that fork completely open as soft as it would go and I felt zero small bump compliance out of that fork and that's getting a little bit extra um sag out of it playing with volume spacers on um on the actual schrader valve cap and you know doing everything I could to tweak it around and I couldn't get it to feel right Hmm. so through the Luftkop cop in already I'm already at like three and four clicks of high speed rebound and compression and that fork does not leave the ground at all and it's super supple but it also has a really good progression from mid-stroke through the ramp out like through the bottom out so already i think it's going to be an amazing add-on and i think that anybody should probably have one Hmm. in a 36 or a 34 chassis in the new Evol. But they make them for all different forks. But Downeyville tomorrow? Downeyville You're going to test it out. I am going to test it out. Uh, my tip is a blinky lights. I know that sounds really lame and not interesting.
0: But uh, hmm. two re- <laughs> <laughs> Steve looks so disappointed. <laughs> there are two reasons I'm mentioning this. If you spend any significant time on the road, uh, you should have one of these on. Depending on your state, depending on insurance companies, depending on plenty of other things, if you are in an accident and you don't have a blinky light, you're hit by a car. Yeah, you may actually not be qualified to get any sort of coverage if you don't have a blinky light. Yeah, it depends on this on the state and
1: everything else. But. Minimum U.S. DOT regulation is actually to have a rear reflector on your bike. You technically have to have that on there. Right. Law. So. That's something that a
0: cyclist should know. Even if you're a mountain biker and you ride on the road for a bit until you get to the trailhead, yeah. you should. Um, I, I was just in like you. We were talked about in the beginning in Hawaii for a week. The Rub it in locals. Yeah, for for two weeks. Yeah, for work one week and then for vacation thereafter. But I rode every single morning I was there. Yeah. Um, and the locals do not like cyclists there very much. Uh, and it's, it can be pretty dangerous in that respect, but another dangerous aspect is the tourists. Yeah. I didn't notice the blinky light helping at all with the locals. They just, (laughs) that more just makes you an easy target to to throw things at, hit the red blinky. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But with tourists, I noticed a huge help. Um, it's just safe. And I just think that there are so many people there, you know, so many people listen to this podcast. Chances are you ride on the road at times. Mm -hmm. Um, I just want us all to be safe. So, uh, we want to enjoy bikes. We want to enjoy life. There's, there's so many things. And, and if putting a silly blinky light on there makes you feel like a nerd, well, man, if it keeps you safe then that's okay. Yeah. Um, I I
1: always have my blinky light on. Yeah. I have my light in motion, whatever Viz 360, I think is what it is. Viz 180. I don't remember. Viz 180.
0: There are plenty of blinky lights out there. Um, I'm not going to throw out a recommendation. I just bought one from a local giant shop that I was at And, and, and it works great. So, um, anyways, put that on there, enjoy mountain biking, head over to mtbpodcast.com to listen and share the podcast. You can subscribe there. Mm Uh, if you subscribe, it's awesome because then you'll just get them automatically. And when we post podcasts, it'll be right in your feed. It's all done. So I recommend doing that with whatever podcast app you use. Yeah. Uh, head to mtbpodcast.com and store to go to worldwide cyclery to get all of your bike parts. They have them all. Mm -hmm. Uh, if they don't have them, you can call them. Except for you.
1: sweet people. MTB Podcast STEM stem Caps. You yes. get them from us.
0: Yes, indeed. They're on our website. And, and shirts and things.
1: Yes. Okay, talk to you all next week. Have a nice day.
0: Hey guys, Jonathan here. Just wanted to thank you again for listening and let you know that if you like the song that you're hearing now and the one that you heard in the intro, it comes from Wave Riders Entertainment, my good friend Tommy Walter. Check it out if you're looking for more beats like this or some awesome tracks to listen to. We'll talk to you next week.